It's Friday. Welcome to the Real Talk Municipal Election Extravaganza. In just a moment, we're going to get started with the top polling mayoral candidates in the two big cities, the two biggest cities in the province we call home. We haven't spent a ton of time on municipal elections because we know people are tuning in from all around the world. Got an email yesterday from somebody in Austria that listens to Real Talk. Thought that was pretty fantastic. But today, this show is for those that are living in Calgary, those that are living in Edmonton, and everybody that has an interest in how the politics are going to play out in these two cities in one of uh, certainly Canada's most vibrant provinces one that we're all very proud of we're very proud we keep reminding ourselves we're very proud to be albertans but there are going to be some big challenges facing these next mayors the incumbents are both on their way out i don't have to tell you that and head nenshi don Iveson are, are moving on to new challenges new opportunities and that means that there's going to be a fresh-faced approach to municipal politics in both calgary and edmonton we're excited to get this started the show is presented by the team at bitcoin well you know by now because you've heard me talk about it planet earth's first publicly traded bitcoin atm company that's kind of one of the cool things about bitcoin well i know that the team there thinks that that's probably one of the coolest things about it you know what i think as as a civilian as a a regular person thing that's coolest about bitcoin well for me is that i i can swing on by there and typically they've got benny benny's near the front door you know buzz in he's there with his mask ready to go benny and i talk and i go hey man i know this is kind of a stupid question he always reminds he's got this big old beard this beautiful smile and he always reminds me with this twinkle in his eyes you can you can't, i can't I, I don't even actually really know what benny totally looks like because i've only ever met him with a mask on he's got these great twinkly eyes and you can tell he's beaming and he always says jesmo there's no stupid question Love those guys. You can find them at the top of the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So here's how this is going to go, real talkers. Uh, We're going to kick off with our candidates out of Edmonton first. You'll say, well, how did you determine who earned the invite to come, you know, speak and answer a few questions in front of the most politically engaged media audience in Western Canada? Well, it's easy. We took a look at polling and how it's been trending over the past number of months, and we extended invitations to the top five top polling candidates, the five top polling candidates in Edmonton and Calgary. Only one candidate out of the 10 declined our invitation. That was Mike Nichol, a candidate for mayor in Edmonton. That means that in the next number of minutes between now and probably 45 minutes from now, we're going to talk to Michael Oshry, Amarjeet Sohi, Cheryl Watson, and Kim Chrishell. Then we're going to take a breather. I'm going to check in on the team, make sure that they're all good. We're going to top up our coffees. Real talkers, we're going to hang out. We're going to have some fun. Maybe I'll read an email or two, and then we'll head down to Cowtown, my hometown. And Jody Gondek will join us out of the gates. I'm then going to connect with Brad Field, Jan Damery, Jeff Davison, and we'll wrap up with Jeremy Farkas. That's coming up in about 90 minutes from now. But, uh, you know, if you're listening to us live, that'll probably be uh, these interviews wrapping up around 20 after 10 Mountain Time, just after noon Eastern Time. Of course, we know that there's also more going on with this municipal election, including these referendum questions. 
These two are smarter than me when it comes to the applications and the theory behind the English language. Referendum questions, plural. Would that be referenda? The referenda? I don't think so. That would be two referendums. Referenda? Is it like governor's general where you, you pluralize the first one? That's that's all yeah. that one always throws me. I, I would say referenda questions. I am out of my depth. So I have I'm no totally, idea. I'm way out. Maybe we'll just say the referendum questions. There we go. Perfect. Yeah, sure. I'm going to be talking about daylight saving time and, of course, equalization. And so we thought we, we've already talked to you about daylight saving time. That's in our archives. And if you want to check that out, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast right now, you can search for our August 3rd episode. Uh, that was when we were talking to Dr. Michael Antle from the Hotchkiss Brain Institute about the health, safety and economic implications of altering daylight saving time in Alberta. So this is something that Albertans will be voting on when it comes to this, uh, you know, this vote Monday, October 18th. You know that. So August 3rd, we took we talked about uh, daylight saving time. We're going to talk about equalization with Dr. Mark Crawford out of Athabasca University. And that'll be coming up in about two hours from now. So after my final interview with the Calgary mayoral candidate, we'll then move on to talk about equalization. And then what's that one other thing that we have? Right. Trash talk is coming up to wrap up the show. And I'm going to tell you right now that there is uh, contained within today's trash talk included in today's trash talk. One of my favorite trash talk emails of all time. And what I'm particularly excited, well, uh, number one, I'm most excited to read the email. Number two, both Sam and Sarah are a little confused and, and a little concerned, I can tell, about the inclusion of a visual element for this trash talk because it's a, well, you're going to see, I don't want to spoil it, but you're going to see what I'm talking about. And these two are nervous that, that trash talk is going to include piling on someone or something that might not deserve it. But that's not how we'd roll here on Real Talk. So I want you two to be, do not let your hearts be troubled. But I'm telling you, and we're going to wrap up on that one. So for the first time ever in Real Talk history, Trash Talk is going to go out with kind of like a, instead of like an angry, yeah, we're going to go out on like, oh, I'm kind of angry and happy. And, and then you're just going to roll into the weekend. Quick reminder, we're going to be off next week. We wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. We wish you a very safe Thanksgiving. Thanks in advance to everybody that's going to keep their distance from people and keep it outside and try to get these numbers under control. Before we go any further, Sam, for, for people that are watching on YouTube, I have to ask about the the top half of the Canadian tuxedo that you've got on. This denim jacket is is just, uh, as they might say in office space, your flair. I <laughs> is phenomenal i like i honestly think i've gone overboard with the pins at this point like, i don't I was, know i picked it up this morning i was like yeah it's a good denim jacket day and then i was just like if like if this is seen on air is this is this too much like is this just going way too far i don't know well i i, I you liked the office space reference to me i mean sam would be they, they would if he was a server uh, in that restaurant, mm -hmm. he would be they would have him in the the prime section because his flair is ten out of ten. He'd be employee of the month, month <laughs> after month after month. <laughs> I mean, he is here too as well, right? So where's your flair, Sarah? I thought uh, not so much. Sarah's been wearing a leather jacket all week. Thank I just you. want to point you, that you out. Have, you have yeah. been actually kicking ass and taking names this week. <laughs> Credit where it's due, Hoyles. Just this week, come on. <laughs> 
Fair enough. I love that you and I both came in where and 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 you know we came in sort of wearing like our rocker garb when Biff Naked was on earlier. You got it. It's like subconscious. And and then this today I was like I'm gonna treat you know I'm like all the mayoral candidates are on. I should have like a pocket square and a three piece suit and I should be doing you know. And I was like nah man. You know it's first of all casual Friday. And second of all, you know, we're going to treat this like we are engaged citizens, just like everybody that's going to listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. everybody that's going to watch us stream. And I just want to ask real questions that real people would ask political candidates. So Michael Oshry leads us off in just a moment. Before we get to that, I want to remind you with Thanksgiving coming up, the team at Friesen Brothers is ready to hook you up, save you the work. You know, they have Red Seal chefs on staff, right? So they do their pickup Thanksgiving dinner. This one with ham. You can check it out at Friesen.com. But today, the Friesen Brothers mentioned in the form of an email from Kareen. She says a family member uh, surprised the rest of our family with a visit. Now, our surprise guest is vegan. And she was staying with us for five days. We are not vegan and we live in a small town and there are very limited items I can find that would provide enough selection and variety for a five day stay. So as our surprise guest was flying into Edmonton, I told her about Friesen Brothers and how impressed I was with their store when I went there last time I was in Edmonton. And I tried the sourdough cinnamon buns, just because you told us to, and they are, in all caps, WORTH THE TRIP! Friesen Brothers was easy to find from the airport, so our guest stopped in. She was thrilled, so happy with the vegan selection. She loved the quality. She bought a fresh-baked vegan pizza. And in the two and a half hour car ride to our house, she said that it was better than any store for vegan selection she'd ever seen in her home city of Victoria, B.C. How do you like that, Victoria, B.C.? Kareen says we can now hit up Friesen Brothers anytime she comes without worrying about where we can find all the things that, quite frankly, we've never heard of. Thank you to Friesen Brothers. That from Kareen. I was like, we got that email yesterday. I was like, I can't wait to read this email. That's the South Edmonton store. I don't have to tell you. Friesen Brothers has 16 locations across the province of Alberta. And a real quick one before we officially kick off our municipal election extravaganza. I want to remind you that the team at Park Power right now is ready to switch you over. If you like, it's your choice, of course, to a fixed rate or variable rate electricity contract. You look at the natural gas options as well. And of course, they do provide Internet. Had a real talker reach out yesterday, said, I'm in the process of switching over, but I need the promo code. I was like, yeah, nice job. Quick email back. Of course, it's 2021 dash real talk. That gets you $70 off your first bill. No strings attached. No catch. Cancel anytime at parkpower.ca. So here's how it goes. Each candidate, we're going to talk to the top four in the city of Edmonton, the top five in the city of Calgary right now. As mentioned, Mike Nickel was invited uh, and uh, and declined our invitation. Each candidate's going to get 10 minutes. Hoyles is going to be timing it for me. The order that you're going to be hearing from them is in their order of responding, which gave them first choice on time slot. For some of them, the availability availability is a little bit later on. For some of them, it's right now. Uh, if you have any questions about how this is going, you can hit us up in the live chat. Of course, you can also, we encourage you to promote what's going on right now, to share your thoughts with us on our official hashtag, RealTalkRJ. That is powered by Park power our first guest this morning began his entrepreneurial career in edmonton uh, establishing a diverse number of successful local businesses in retail hospitality including remedy cafe and firma which you may or may not know is the largest privately owned financial services company in canada michael oshry was elected to represent the citizens of ward five in edmonton back in 2013 served one term walked away on his own terms he's serving on the police uh, commission edmonton police commission he has and of course now is running for mayor welcome to the show michael oshry it's nice to see your face 
Hey, good morning, Ryan. Nice well, to see you again. Yeah. Hey, so what, what's changed? I remember back in 2017, you made the decision. You, you, you didn't lose a re-election bid. You said, yeah, I think I'm good for now. You'd express some frustration um, on, on the pace uh, on how things were going or not going in the case of things like development in the Rossdale neighborhood and elsewhere. What changed between 2017 when you walked away and let's call it 2020 when you decided to run again? Well, Ryan, you know, Edmonton is just in a really tough spot right now. And, you know, we're not sure where our successes are going to come from, whether they're economically or socially. And, you know, I stepped up because I think I have the unique experience of my background in government and business. And uh, I can talk about my social background as well. And, you know, it's just a really tough spot for the city right now. And I don't think some people understand, especially around the economics. You know, we're not going to have a lot of money. Municipalities, you know, can't print their own money. You know, we have a really, really tough choices ahead of us, and we need someone who can make those tough decisions and and take the heat because there's going to be a lot of heat. And um, you know, you put that all together, and then that's why you and I are chatting right now. Yeah, so we see, uh, you know, Edmonton forecasted to, you know, stare down about a seventy-five million dollars shortfall next year, and I guess probably the quick answer with limited options at the municipal government level would be either cuts or property tax increases. So how do you manage that one? Well, you know, it's it's going to have to be cuts and it's not cuts on core services. There's so many things like your example with Blackford that the city is involved in right now that they shouldn't be. And these are things that municipal level government should not be involved in. You know, everyone's trying to be helpful over the last few years and we've added and added and added. But there's a way to to manage the city where you focus on city level uh, services that city level property taxes are supposed to be paying for and then get out of the other things. And you can do that with less property tax. You know, when I left city council in 2017, just to give you some numbers, the city's operating budget was 2.7 billion and it's 3.1 billion now. So it's $400 million more. Um, and it's not on any more services than we offered. And we're the most expensive municipality per capita of any large city in the country. So we don't need more money. We just got to make some tough choices and get back to municipal level operations. You've got two weekends left, you, you know, about a week and a half until Edmontonians vote. Uh, how has your campaign evolved? Well, you know, it started pretty early and uh, it's pretty interesting, you know, it's, and it's pretty actually enjoyable. I've talked to lots of different people and people, by the way, I totally go off topic as you know, people are super interesting and I like talking to all sorts of people and their backgrounds. I always ask them their stories um, and it's involved. You know, we, we talk a lot about the social challenges the city has. People will assume I know how to manage the fiscal challenges given my background, but there's a lot of social challenges that the city needs. And so we've evolved to come up with some really practical ideas around, you know, social procurement and after school recreation for kids and what to do with Rossdale in the, in the river Valley and then getting out of Blatchford um, and those sorts of things. So uh, it's become really heavy on that side, which I think is the right thing to do. There's a lot of work to be done there. If we uh, stepped into an elevator together, that's a bad example because you and I have known each other for a long time. If a complete stranger steps into an elevator with you, and says, you got 30 seconds of my time to earn my vote. How do you spend the 30 seconds? Uh, I'll tell them that I know how to, I know the difference between an income statement and a balance sheet. I think that's uh, lacking at municipal level government. Uh, you know, I have a background with a lot of social challenges, my family, my history. And so I talk a lot about that. And then I talk about sort of I'm, I'm practical and I've got experience at city council and you put that all together. Um, you know, I'm not the worst person in the world. I'm pretty personal. And I think I, you know, he put those all together and and uh, I think I'm the right person for the job. Uh, Dwayne is watching in live on YouTube this morning. He wonders what will you do specifically to address homelessness or houselessness in Edmonton? 
Yeah, that's a big complicated topic. And, you know, I talk a lot about the fiscal challenges, but this is something that we have to step up and spend money on. And it's the right thing to do for the people. It's the right thing to do for the city. And I'm very specific. If you look at my website, I've got 30 specific platform, focused platform pieces. So really quickly, you know, we have to, my plan is to put 200 more housing units than is already in the plan per year for the next four years put $70 million into our into HomeMed, which is the undermarket housing provider, $50 million into land, land acquisition. So we've got room in the capital budget. We don't have much on the operating budget. So we have to look at things that are a bit more unusual, I'll say. So we've also got a plan to retrofit old buses where you could put shower and washroom and laundry facilities for people that are unfortunately experiencing homelessness. And that way you get out of the red tape and figure out where to put these things. And so, you know, at the end of the day, we got to step up and do something. Um, platitudes are not enough anymore. Uh, this is one area that I think we have to spend the money and, and resources on. You have to answer both sides of this question. What did outgoing Mayor Don Iveson get right? And what did he get wrong? I think the economics, he got totally wrong, just totally wrong. You know, property taxes have increased by inflation. Um, we, we, The big government mentality that the municipal government right now thinks that they know better than everyone and everyone's got to check all these boxes and do all these things. And my view is that government... Um, has to be bottom up and we have to go to businesses or nonprofits or cultural groups and say, look, what do you want to do here and how can we help you? That should be the role of municipal government. We know there's rules. So I really think that big overreaching government is, and the fiscal management is what he got wrong. Um, he got right the Indigenous uh, work that he's been doing. He's spent, uh, he spent a lot of time and effort on that and, and promoting the, the Indigenous community and talking about reconciliation. And I think, you know, I think he did a really good job with that. Uh, you know, politics, I, I don't know if this is actually true. And, and sometimes I feel like I shouldn't say it because it feels like I'm perpetuating the narrative, but it feels like politics are more polarized now than ever before. I'm curious to know, how will you uh, build consensus, work with your naysayers, collaborate with, you know, potential political opponents? How will you make things happen with other levels of government that may be hesitant to play ball? Yeah, politics is very polarizing. We know that. And so I'm running on a very sort of practical middle round fiscal realities management and dealing with these social challenges right now. And this is really important. The city of Edmonton is outside of every important conversation with the provincial government. And whether it's, uh, you know, Jason Kenney or it's going to be the next one, you know, they really think hard about past point, past partisanships. And that's going to be a challenge for anybody coming in with a past reputation or, or involved in other levels of government in, in, in the past. And they don't really, to be honest, they don't care about Edmonton. Um, they really, their, their, their resources are going to Calgary and the rural areas and we're being left out. Uh, and they don't need our support. And to be blunt, it wasn't much better when the NDP were, were in because they were trying to build support other places besides Edmonton. And so we've been left out. And so my number one plan with the with the with the federal oh, sorry with the provincial government is to step in there, find two or three wins, try two or three things that I know we agree on with them and and build that and then start building that relationship out from there. And I think that's just vital. Our relationship with the provincial government is a thousand times more important than with the federal government. We're not going to, you know, municipalities don't make big difference on federal policy. And so we really got to fix that relationship with our provincial government. I love this from Patrick on the live chat. He says, I needed these interviews today. This is very informative. My decision will likely be made today. I'm sure that's not lost on you. I mean, polling's one thing and, and, and candidates. I mean, I'm sure that your campaign has funded its own polling. You're taking a look at what's being published in media. But of course, there's a big undecided chunk. Uh, what's your message specifically to the undecided in these final nine, ten days? Well, for Patrick, he should just stop listening right now. <laughs> 
but um, as far terrible as terrible idea, else, Patrick, terrible okay. idea. Sorry, sorry, that's sorry, that's the wrong thing to say for you. Um, you know, they should just do their homework. Go look on the website of all the candidates and see whose whose platform resonates. And if there's not a very specific platform, you know, maybe that can help you sway your decision. And I think. You know, for me personally, I won't speak for the other candidates, but I mean what I say. And if I put something as a platform piece, I'm going to do my best to get that done. And I'm very confident all of those things are going to get done because I uh, there were some things that we we're kind of, you know, we weren't we thought they were really good ideas, but we didn't we weren't sure given various, uh, you know, I'll say political um, um you know, what's ever happening in the world politically that we couldn't get it done. And so we didn't put it on there. So that would be my, my, my uh, advice is just do, do a homework. It'll take half an hour. And it's really important. It's a really vital election. We've got a, a lot of work to do and we've got to make the right choice here. Uh, Michael, we've got a, about a minute left in your 10. And so I'll make this the final question. Um, I think probably every major urban center would have conversations around uh, transit, mobility, walkability, you know, et cetera, et cetera, as part of a, a big municipal election. It's an opportunity for the electorate to hear these platforms and obviously to reflect where their priorities are. Through the campaign, uh, we've seen different candidates for mayor talk about investing robustly or maybe hitting pause on public transit. There's been a lot of talk about ring roads expansion, the yellowhead, et cetera. Adventure cycling is watching in right now on our live chat. That's the handle. Wants to know what your approach would be to bike infrastructure. So I'll just ask, we'll wrap this interview by me asking you to 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 give us a sense or paint a picture of what it looks like getting around Edmonton in a city where Michael Oshry is the mayor. So the math is, and I like numbers. I like math. I like statistics. I like evidence. 70% of people drive 20%, 15 to 20 take LRT or transit five walk, five walk, five ride their bike as their primary source. And so I'm not saying we need to allocate exactly to that, but we have to think about that. So, you know, I don't, I'm really agnostic how people want to get around. We have to make sure people can get around by cars for now. You know, we know things are moving, you know, it's going to be multi-decades though. Um, the West LRT is coming. No matter what people think they can cancel that thing, the contracts are signed, funding from other levels of government. We're not getting out of that. And it's the right thing to do. And then after that, any other LRT construction, you know, is going to depend on our capital budget. It's easy to say we should do it. It's easy to say we shouldn't. But we're going to have a challenging capital budget and we're going to have to figure out where our priorities uh, lie with other things. And so I'm not saying we shouldn't build more LT. Maybe that's the right thing to do. Uh, maybe maybe we have to pause it for a while. And then as far as the biking and the walking, you know, we continue as what we're doing. You know, uh, I have no plans to expand the bike networks. You know, it's really popular in the south side, White Avenue, those area. That's fine. The rest of the city isn't really asking for it. Um, and so we really have to get but I'm not against it. I use the bike lanes, too. And so we have to get people around the city is really important to get them around the city um, in whatever mode that they choose and as efficiently as possible. I want to uh, thank you for your time there. Sorry, buddy. I had my mic killed. I'm shuffling papers around here, ready to go. The show's moving fast and it's been great having you here to kick it off at your request, Michael, first out of the gates. There you go. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. That's Michael Oshry, uh, candidate for mayor in the city of Edmonton. So here's how it's, we're, we're moving quick. So behind the scenes team, uh, you know, Sam's locked and loaded. The next candidate is going to be Amarjeet Sohi in just a minute. Hoyles is on top of everything. I love that. That's great feedback on the live chat. Patrick saying, I needed this. I'm, I'm probably going to make my choice, he says, this weekend. It's getting down to that crunch time. And I don't know, it maybe feels it's a little bit different. This is hardly a profound statement, but it's a little bit different than provincial or federal elections where in those two you have, if you want to call it a luxury, some people might say it's a detriment. Some people might say the beauty of municipal elections is their nonpartisan nature, uh, minus slates and that and some you Can know, you hear me? I, either, you know, uh, 
Sam, uh, Amber Good. Jets live here. I'm, uh, I'm positioned fine. Uh, it's okay. You can hear them getting organized behind the scenes there. It's all good. A lot of moving parts here. But with the municipal election, for the most part, you know, you can't just say I'm voting NDP or conservative or I'm going to vote liberal or whatever. Uh, you got to do a little bit more research. And I know that, you know, votes matter to people. You're, you're going to show up and vote. Typically, voter turnout's a little higher on municipal elections. Uh, and so hope to see that trend here. And we hope that this we know that this is going to be a valuable resource for a lot of people. Absolutely. I was actually telling a whole bunch of people anytime I was talking to anybody, I was like, hey, you should you should listen. Yeah. Um, it gives you a nice it'll give you a nice overview of the of the top five polling candidates. And this will be a great podcast for you to share mm-hmm. uh, over the next week and a half or so. And if you check out the podcast description, of course, you'll be able to see that that Sarah, see, I'm looking into the future now. We're doing this live. But after this show is done, uh, Sarah's going to make sure that there's time codes in the description of the podcast and the YouTube show so you can skip right ahead to hear the different candidates uh, as soon as you need. Uh, we want to take a second to remind you that Athabasca University is Canada's online university and have been long enough to earn the distinction as those with the world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer Canadians the flexibility to learn at their own pace. It's a schedule that suits your lifestyle. And so, you know, as kids have gone back to school, and a lot of them are back at home already, too, back to school in the post-secondary context for a lot of people has meant Athabasca U. It's a perfect fit, not just for where the world's at right now, but for where your life is at, too. You may have had digital experiences with your studies in past. Athabasca University, the people that are signing up there, the people that are basically deepening their experience, their knowledge, know that this wasn't temporary or rushed, this platform. It's designed to meet the needs of students who, for whatever reason, whether it's a new job, personal betterment, curiosity, maybe it's an entire life change. Maybe you're hitting the reset button. There's a fit for you at Athabasca U. Also, big shout out to our friends at Westworld Computers. Daryl wants me to let you know, you know, Daryl is like second generation owner. 40 years family owned this company. It's amazing. They've got the new iPhone 13, the Pro, and the iPhone 13 Pro Max. They're a Bell-authorized dealer. And so you can swing by the store. You can visit them online. They've also got the all-new iPad Mini 6th generation. They call it meticulously designed. I like that word. Meticulously designed. It's an all-new enclosure, an edge-to-edge screen, which is really cool. And then these elegant rounded corners. Feels good when you hold it. At Westworld, that was a weird slogan. They're not putting that up on a billboard. Or should they? Or should they? To the team at Westworld, that one's for free. Our next candidate has had uh, quite a journey. Um, From immigrant to bus driver to city councilor to member of parliament to federal minister, Amarjeet Sohi. Served on Edmonton City Council representing Ward 12 from 2007 to 2015. Of course, then as an MP for the riding of Edmonton, Mill Woods until 2019, during which time he served as Minister of Natural Resources and Minister of Infrastructure and Communities. Our guest on this Friday morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Well, good morning. 
How are you? I'm all right. This has been, I know, uh, you know, once you threw your name into the ring, you know, once once people knew that Amarjeet, so Have he was in fact. Have you invited me to your show since then, <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't. Hey, just because you and I get along, it doesn't mean that I can invite you. On, <laughs> then I, and then I got to invite everybody on the show. So we've had to wait. And so here you are now, but we get 10 minutes. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been ob- obviously one of the talking points of the Edmonton mayoral race. And, and you immediately, I think shot to the top of the polls uh, when it showed who's the kind of favorite to win or who's the guy to beat. How does that change a campaign? You know, Ryan, first of all, I want to start this conversation by acknowledging that we are speaking with each other from Treaty 6 territory. And that land acknowledgement is pretty deep and meaningful for me. It's not just ceremonial. As you know, I came to this city, this country with nothing. Uh, This is a city that gave me so much, despite uh, the challenges I faced. This is a community that lifted me up to uh, live up to my fullest potential. That was only possible because of the generosity of uh, indigenous communities and settlers for for the ability for me to be here. Another thing is that uh, the reason I have been successful is municipal services. The buses that took me to places to find me a better job or get me to school or the libraries where I learned to speak English, or the rec centers where I made friends. Those are the things that changed my life. And that's why I'm so passionate about uh, uh, city building and, and city city governance. Uh, and so, you know, look forward to serving our city if I get the chance to uh, uh, be in that position. How has your campaign evolved over the past number of weeks, months? Well, we engaged deeply with Edmontonians uh, even before I made the decision. Uh, and through those conversations, we have put together a very compelling uh, vision for the city, uh, Edmonton, for all of us. Uh, uh, and, and so, uh, despite, and you know, because of COVID, absolutely have to adjust your uh, campaign tactics. Uh, we are door knocking with very, being very cautious. We do literature drop, uh, you know, we hold small meetings, making sure that we're complying with all the uh, health regulations. Uh, so uh, it has been different campaign from uh, the six other previous campaigns that I've been part of, but it's still fun. Have it you, is still fun. Have it's, you uh, uh, pivoted on anything? I mean, has has feedback from the public or messages you've heard at the doors or, you know, a trend you've seen on social media prompted you to pivot on any policy? Uh, I would say our focus has shifted on COVID because uh, when we launched our campaign in, in May, there was optimism that we are putting this COVID behind. Uh, But the fourth wave has really changed that. So uh, we need stronger leadership at every level. It's so disappointing to see that this provincial government has failed Alberta on many fronts, but particularly on fighting and controlling uh, COVID. So it's necessary that we have stronger leadership coming from uh, municipalities on that that front so i think that part of the campaign has has shifted if uh, i i'm going to ask this question of all the candidates this morning uh if if a stranger uh an engaged uh you know politically savvy interested community member steps into an elevator with you and says amarjeet you got 30 seconds to earn my vote where do you go right off right out of the gates you got 30 seconds to talk to them what I would say, Ryan, is that the issues of economy, 
social issues, environment, and inequities that exist in our city are interconnected. No one person and institution can solve those issues. What we need is a collaborative, collective approach, mobilizing city resources and city wisdom and everyone's wisdom to bring people together to tackle and grapple these issues and, uh, and move forward together. That is my vision for the city because that's how I have been successful. That's how so many other people have been successful by working together, supporting each other. And that's the kind of city I want to continue to build. Uh, what did Don Iverson get right? And what did Don Iverson get wrong? I would say Don has done a very good job of uh, strengthening of a relationship with the federal government uh, through FCM and through his personal relationship with the ministers, including myself when I was uh, the federal minister of infrastructure and natural resources. I think where this city has fell short, and it's not one person's uh, uh, fault, uh, is on the inequities that exist in our city. We haven't really properly grappled with the issues of uh, racism and discrimination and how that pain is holding people back and making people unsafe in our city. And I would, would like to have more focus on equity issues along with economic growth, obviously. And our plan is very comprehensive, but I think that's where I would say that there has been shortfalls, shortcomings of this concept. How will you, as mayor, build consensus, uh, work with naysayers and political opponents and make things happen uh, with other levels of government? Uh, obviously, let's address exactly where you're going to go. You're going to say you have a positive and great working relationship with the current federal liberal government. Everybody knows that. I think that's why a lot of people would consider you as an option when it comes to where they're going to cast their ballot. But it could be a very different story with the government of Alberta. Could be a very mm. different story with the Jason Kenney conservatives and you as a former liberal cabinet minister as the mayor of Edmonton. How would you work with that provincial government? Well, Ryan, I can give you a number of examples how I built consensus in the past. Uh, you know, when I got elected in 2007, LRT to Millwoods was nowhere on the map on the city, and uh, there was no plan to build it at all. But I worked hard to build a relationship with my council colleagues and uh, made a compelling case for them to consider. And within a few months, I brought forward, forward a motion to expedite the uh, the construction and it has a majority support. Uh, and now that project is uh, under construction will be completed. I can give you the example of Meadows Rec Center, you know, Millwood's Library, Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion Project, things I have delivered because of my collaborative approach of listening to people, focusing on issues and respecting people. Never confuse politics and partisanship with what you need to do. And fundamental ingredient of that is respect. Respect for your opponents. You can disagree on policy vigorously. And I have. And I have vigorously disagreed with Premier Jason Kenney on a number of policies and his, his government. But never attack personally. And that is the, that is the fundamental uh, difference that I will bring to this office of separating politics from policy and never get personal. A lot of this campaign has, has focused on uh, infrastructure for obvious reasons. You're in a unique position, having served on that uh, federal file as the minister responsible for it. Uh, you're, mm -hmm. I think, aware of Edmonton's needs. And, and I think to a certain degree, if you want to be mayor, you've got to be aware of how Edmontonians feel about getting around their city. 
about mm-hmm. driving, about walking, about taking public transit, about feeling comfortable and safe and not feeling bottlenecked, et cetera, and everything that goes with it. So for those that would like to know what it would look like getting around the city of Edmonton with Amarjeet Sohi as mayor, how would you approach that file? Well, we are a community of a million people and we will grow to two million people over the next uh, 40 to 50 years. So we need to provide choice. I am the only candidate who has unwavering commitment to get the LRT built to West End, uh, to Southwest, and eventually to Castle Downs. That community has been waiting for LRT for two decades, if not longer, and outside deserves LRT. And that's my priority. We also need to build sustainable modes of transportation, including well, you know, well, high quality. Uh, cycling safe infrastructure that we uh, we need to build. We need to create choices for people to move around this city and uh, and sustainable modes of transportation not only make you a healthy person, but also they save you uh, uh, money and they uh, also reduce emissions uh, to make our communities more sustainable and uh, climate resilient. Yeah, a vote, uh, Amarjeet, I'll let you know we've got one minute left here, so this will be my final question. You know, a vote has got a lot of value. I was just talking to Sarah Hoyles about this. People care very deeply, and it means a lot to people to be able to vote. Uh, why should Edmontonians give theirs to you above all other candidates? You know, I hold our public institutions in high esteem, and I always followed that my actions and uh, and my words should never, ever diminish the importance of the public institution. You know, when you focus on anger, when you focus on frustration, you can turn our public institutions into rage machines. That is not what I want to see in a mayor's office. You know, we have seen this provincial government, you know, creating anger, fostering anger, where we are today. We are no better off today. We're actually worse off today because of that division that we have seen, that polarization that we have seen. I deeply believe in listening to people, building consensus. And that's where I am running for this office, Ryan. Right? Just because I believe that my skill set, my experience, and, and my knowledge, and my temperament, and my governance style is needed for us to pull together so we can tackle these intersecting issues of economic growth, environmental sustainability, homelessness, mental health addiction, and the racism that we face. I am so optimistic about Edmonton Island because this is a city that lifted me up. This is a city that gave me so much. And that should be available to every Edmontonian. So that's my vision. Amarjeet Sohi, thanks for your time this morning. Good luck the rest of the way. Thank you, sir. For, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, nice to see you guys. Nice to see you, too. Uh, coming up next, we'll talk to candidate Cheryl Watson. First, I want to remind you how proud we are to partner with the team at Kubi Energy. This is my assessment. I'm going to say they're easily Western Canada's most prominent solar installer. And the reason I say that is because they've got their hands in all kinds of projects. Like, yeah, you'll see them out on job sites across B.C. and Alberta in particular into Saskatchewan. You know, they're headquartered out of Edmonton and Kamloops. And they're doing all these residential installs. They're doing a lot of agricultural work, Jake tells me. A lot of rural stuff. People that are getting off the grid. People moving to net zero. New builds, retrofits, renovations. And the big commercial installs, too, which are super cool. If you want to see more about what they do, I invite you to follow them on Instagram at Kubi Energy. That's K-U-B-Y. You know, here, for example, for those listening on the podcast, it's just the bones of a ground-mounted solar-powered system. You go later on in the 
Instagram feed, and you can see what it looks like, the finished product. There's that big Kubi trailer there, the Tesla-certified team finishing up the install. Very cool stuff. Of course, Kubi also presents positive reflections. What's made your day? What made your week? We'd love to hear about it. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. And Monday, October 18th, our first show back, we'll be getting into positive reflections presented by Kubi Energy. The following paid advertisement does not necessarily represent the views of Ryan Jesperson, Real Talk, or Relay Communications Group Incorporated. It's time for a fresh perspective. Edmonton deserves a leader who will work for you and with you. Someone who understands the strengths of our community to do things better and faster. Cheryl Watson has built her career on results, not promises. On October 18th, vote Watson for mayor and together let's build a city that works. This ad is paid for by the Watson for mayor campaign. Cheryl Watson is a born and raised Edmontonian from the North Side community of Beverly. Uh, she's built a career as a business executive with 20 years of experience, including time as a tech innovator with IBM and Intuit before founding Innovate Edmonton and the Alberta Innovation Corridor. Now she wants to be mayor. Joining us live. It's good morning to you. It's nice to see your face. Been a while since we've last spoken. Good morning. Nice to see you. Uh, those new glasses. I like those glasses, Cheryl. Looking good. Those glasses. Nice job. You uh, were at a mayoral forum that I was hosting a few weeks ago, and you prompted guffaws from the crowd when you said, I've never met somebody from Beverly that doesn't know how to fight. What does that mean when you're running for mayor? Oh, I think that that's especially important when you're running for mayor, because the mayor's job is really to represent all Edmontonians. And there will be times where uh, courage and difficult decisions will need to be made, but made through the lens of Edmontonians and what's most important to them. And so I think that my background and growing up in Beverly, um, I think most people from Beverly would say that they have a certain grit, determination, commitment to hard work. And I think that all of those characteristics are going to serve Edmontonians well if I'm elected as mayor. Uh, you obviously prompted a lot of discussion across the city. Other candidates this morning are mentioning it, your plans, or you said at least your openness to hitting pause on the West LRT expansion in the city of Edmonton. What was behind the thinking there? And what do you make of some of the public response? Pretty prominent pushback. Well, I've been really clear from the very beginning and consistent from the beginning that I am going to bring fresh perspective. I'm going to challenge the status quo I don't bring bias to programs or investments that have decisions were made in the past. And here's the reality. COVID has changed everything. And as you look at cities all around the world with this new reality of our ability and, and oftentimes need to work remotely, we know that the way we live has changed, the way we learn has changed, the way we work has changed. And so this is dramatically impacted and continues to impact commute patterns. And so, as I said, municipalities all around the world are looking right now hard at their infrastructure investments that they've made pre-COVID. 
And so that's really what I called for is the recognition that the environment has changed, our economic uh, position has changed. And so the model that was used to approve and move forward that west leg of the Valley Line LRT has changed dramatically. So when council comes together in November, this should be, along with many other decisions that we made in the past, reassessed, reevaluated. I've got, uh, there's an interesting thing happening here. Uh, a bunch of people in our live chat are saying they've been looking forward to this interview. They're looking forward to hearing from you. There's about 20 people in a row that are asking me to ask you about your donor list. Let me put it this way. The AUMA, Alberta Urban Municipalities Association, has invited candidates across the province to take the pledge. And part of that is a commitment to demonstrate transparency by sharing your vision for the municipality and providing pre-election disclosure of campaign contributions and spending. Have you taken that pledge? Is that something you intend to do? We do have a commitment to making our donations transparent to voters. And, you know, Mayor Iveson actually set a good precedent uh, with the last election. And so he released his um, the evening before um, the the vote date, the election date. And so we think that that's a good practice that we will um, that we will copy. Okay, good stuff. Uh, If we stepped into an elevator together, not you and me, we know each other. If a stranger, but someone you can tell is politically engaged, steps into an elevator with you, you've both got your masks on, and, and, and they say, Cheryl, you got 30 seconds to earn my vote. What does that pitch sound like? I'm going to bring fresh perspective to this city. I am not a politician. I want to represent everyday Edmontonians. I was born and raised in this city and was entirely reliant on city services to get around. Uh, We didn't have a car, so bus service and community programs were critically important. So I'm going to bring that depth of understanding. But the lens that I'm going to apply comes from the 20 years I spent working for Fortune 500 companies that would say you need to constantly challenge and think about new ways of delivering services in better ways. One of my favorite quotes is, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And that's how you're going to get better outcomes. And that's the view that I'm going to bring. It's interesting, you know, you say you're not a politician and for a lot of people, that's a good thing. And for for some people, they may wonder, well, hang on, though. I mean, would you be hampered? Would you be held back or would we be disadvantaged by somebody that doesn't have prior experience, for example, as a city councilor or something else? What would you say to that? I have a deep level of understanding of how our municipal government works because for the last four years, I worked hand in hand with city council, our current mayor administration. Um, I understand how the processes, the system works. Um, I've spent hundreds of hours in city council meetings, you know, sitting right next to or across the table from city councillors. So I'm not a newbie here. I definitely know how the system works, but I think that that fresh perspective is so important right now, not bringing uh, political baggage, uh, not bringing bias to how things have happened in the past, I think is going to be really important in this new environment, which is a very uncertain future for all of us. What did Don Iveson get right and what did Don Iveson get wrong? One of the best things I think from Don's legacy is the city plan. Uh, What an incredible amount of engagement that put together this plan that's now going to guide us forward into the future. Every city needs a long-term plan. Uh, But I think that where, um, you know, what Don didn't do well, especially in his last term, was he really was disconnected from those that he served. 
And so I think that he really um, lost focus on what an everyday Edmontonian's life really looks like. Um, I, one of my favorite policies is the safe city for women and girls. And that was a commitment that we made to participate in that program in 2015. And then we didn't honor our commitments to create a safe city for women and girls. And so there's there's a good example of really losing track of the fact that more than 50% of the people that live in Edmonton um, don't necessarily feel safe, but there's some very real and practical solutions that we have on the table that we should be implementing. I know that a big reason why a lot of people will be interested in your campaign is your experience with building business, attracting investment, tech, looking outside, I think, traditional oil and gas to, quite frankly, spell it out. Uh, what do you think that Edmonton can do better? And w- with regards to growing the economy here, which, of course, has the big spinoff, people are then convinced to move their families here, to raise their families here, to, to you know, I mean, tourism could boom here. How does that happen in a way that it hasn't before if you're mayor? We're moving too slowly and so many cities are outpacing us right now, but we have an opportunity to learn from them. So one of my early policies that I announced was this chief accountability officer that would look around the world and say, who's doing better than us in this area and how can we quickly implement it? Our technology and innovation strengths are impressive here. We are an academic and talent powerhouse. And so how do we really move more quickly, keep pace with the other cities all around the world that have really realized and recognized this and are um, creating the conditions for success so that that economy can move forward? What would be what would be like one example where you look at another city that did it right or that is doing it right? And you say we could easily or at least with some commitment, make that happen in Edmonton. One of my favorite examples here in Canada that we know a lot about is the Kitchener-Toronto-Waterloo partnership where they really recognize that they are better together. And so um, how do we really leverage our partnership with Calgary so that we can collectively compete, so that we can collectively create and deliver the resources that are so necessary for our local businesses right now? And so I think that this idea of partnership is really, really powerful. And we have the opportunity, like I said, to learn from that uh, Kitchener, Toronto, Waterloo area where they've really partnered together to bring collective strengths so that we can just move more quickly. Uh, I have about 30 seconds left. I don't have to tell you that a vote has a great deal of value. Uh, In closing, why should Edmontonians consider giving you their vote above any other candidate? I want to build a city for all Edmontonians, and that has been my tagline for the beginning. It shouldn't matter where in the city that you live. There should be an equitable and accessible level of city services for all Edmontonians, and that's the viewpoint and commitment that I bring. Cheryl Watson, candidate for mayor, wishing you best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Ryan. Nice to talk to you. Hello to all your listeners. Thanks for your time. You bet. Nice to speak with you as well, Cheryl. Thanks very much. Coming up, Kim Chriselle, and that'll wrap up our conversations with candidates for mayor in Edmonton. We'll then turn our focus south, about 275 kilometers or so to the city of Calgary. Did you ever know, by the way, this is such, I don't even know why I'm getting into this. Who cares? But I always, I always wondered when you look at road signs, you know, highway signs, and, you know, let's say you're on the Queen Elizabeth II highway, and, you know, you're traveling down to Calgary and it'll say Calgary, 86 kilometers. 
And you go, well, hang on a second, though. Calgary's grown so much. The sprawl is, I mean, every city has, it seems, in Alberta, at least many of them. Uh, Edmonton, too. And so with Edmonton growing south, Calgary growing north, I mean, Calgary's basically met up with Airdrie. Edmonton and Leduc aren't that far off. Beaumont as well. Mm -hmm. So how do these distances change? Have you ever geeked out and like done some, you know, sort of reading on how they determine those? No, because I'm always just like, where where am I going, and how long is that going to take there? me? And you know what? And I think it's probably different now because we all have Google Maps and our, totally. we have our smartphones and everything. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit different because it tells us even with traffic, you'll be here approximately at this time. And everybody's had their heart stop when they're expecting to see you'll be there in 18 minutes. And it's like 34 minutes. And you're like, oh, that's me. That's my life. And then you look at the map and you see this big red section yeah. and you're like, what? What? If only I would have pre-planned. So anyway, uh, they do it from smack dab in the city core and then they go out. And so if it's like Calgary, 86 kilometers, it's like that's how far you are from smack dab city center. That's kind of how they figured it out. I thought that was interesting. Did I like it? that. Well, because I was trying to figure it out one day. And so I looked on the World Wide Web. Ooh. So it must be true. And that's what I found out. I also found out this week that Grand Dog Essentials is more than just quality raw food. Okay, maybe I knew that already. That's a bit of a white lie. I already knew that because they've got the supplements I've been talking to you about before, like their green eggs supplement for joint and mobility support for your pup, or their soil-based probiotics, natural digestive enzymes and probiotics. What about Happy Days Dairy Raw Fermented Goat Milk? Can everybody in the house use that, or is that just is that just for the dogs? I don't know. You may want to ask the team of nutritionists at Grand Dog Essentials, but our Moses needs his diet switched up a little bit. He needs his diet changed up. He's aging, and we want to make sure his quality of life remains where it is. So we're transitioning him on the advice of the vet and in consultation with the team at Grand Dog to cooked food, which they're also delivering to our door every single week. The promo code REALTALK at granddog.ca will get you 10% off your first-time order. Once your dogs are on Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food, I guarantee you'll see a difference. I've seen it myself. Our next guest was first elected to Edmonton City Council in 2004. Kim Chrishell served three terms as a city councilor and then moved into the private sector back in 2014, building and leading two prominent tech firms now she wants to be back at city hall with the keys to a way cooler office joining us live this morning kim Chriselle, welcome to the show it's nice to see you nice to see you too ryan how has your campaign evolved i mean you you've been in the game for a little bit now people knew that you were running for mayor you weren't exactly a last minute candidate this seemed like you had conviction on this for quite some time how's the campaign evolved over the past number of months well, it's been, I wouldn't say it's been easy with COVID. It's been really challenging. Uh, certainly when I announced, I had some work to do uh, to make sure I had two new CEOs in charge of my two tech companies. So I did that. Uh, and now, you know, the last few months I've been campaigning full time. Uh, we've had an amazing team and we're seeing momentum. We're seeing actually a lot of people showing up at our campaign office. We're seeing a lot of excitement out there. Um, and I'm getting a lot of support from all over the city, from ethnic groups, uh, a lot of women, of course, uh, who are supporting me. So it's we're seeing a surge. We're feeling it now. And so I feel pretty positive. 
When you left City Hall uh, a number of years ago, did you always have it in the back of your mind that a mayoral run would be potentially at least part of your future? Or did something happen? Was there something that prompted you to say, I want back, I want back downtown? You know, I actually didn't think I would come back to politics, Ryan. Uh, you know, I left because of family. Uh, and then I started business and I've enjoyed that. What got me to come back starting was was some of the challenges I saw in the tech sector. The fact that we did have problems in the innovation and tech sector and that I was talking to founders of companies who were leaving Edmonton. So that was one of the big things that got me to step back up. And the fact that I also recognize that, I don't think people realize this, but in the eight years that I've been away, for most Edmontonians, our residential taxes have doubled. Uh, and our non-residential taxes, how we tax business, have increased exponentially, two, two times as much. So uh, that was another thing that was getting me to think about, okay, maybe I should consider. And the other thing is experience. You know, uh, it's not easy to be in politics. And uh, we need, I think, a mayor who can hit the ground running, have a real understanding of how our city works, but also an understanding of business and in particular, the innovation and tech sector and uh, be in a position to give back. And I see politics as a public service and I have a track record of getting things done. I'm always intrigued by the the idea that, you know, you're you're among the candidates for mayor that will say, hey, I have I have a, a track record you can look at in the private sector uh, or in your case in tech and in steering these companies. And, uh, you know, I've got experience in business and that's important to attract business. And then you'll have people that say, yeah, but you can't run a city or you can't operate a government or a council like a business. It's got to be different. So what would you say to those people? Well, what I can say is I didn't have the business experience when I was on council. And reflecting on that, I think it has rounded out my abilities in terms of leadership. Because I know what it's like to see how the city can sometimes get in the way, for example, on permitting and other challenges that I know businesses are facing. I have a lot more sympathy and understanding of what it's like to be in the risk business because being an entrepreneur is risky, uh, especially in the tech sector. And I also see where there's opportunity that the city isn't, you know, taking advantage of. I'll give you one example. Some of the reasons why we're losing tech companies is because the city itself isn't actually looking and using some of the technology we have locally that can make a difference on the customer service side for our citizens. So we are not good at being a test bed for validating technology, which if we did that, that could create a heck of a lot more jobs and opportunity and keep these tech companies here. So that is something that we're missing the boat on. And I want to see us change. Kim Crishell, our guest. What did Don Iveson get right? And what did Don Iveson get wrong? You know, I think what Don Iveson did right, certainly there are a lot of elements of the city plan that I think are positive. Uh, and I would also give him a shout out on his environmental uh, action plan. I think that we need to action those items. And I, so I'd say on the getting the wrong, we have a lot of plans at the city of Edmonton. What I'm not seeing are the outcomes and results. And so I think that that is something that where the next mayor and council needs to show a lot of leadership. Uh, and we are in for challenging times. The other thing that I would say that I'm very concerned about is, you know, I have always been a supporter of LRT. In fact, I decommissioned and got support for decommissioning that old trolley bus system we used to have, Ryan. Uh, and I did that because we needed money for the LRT. But I will say this, I am concerned about the fact that we have a 
an LRT contract for building the line to the West End, but we don't have a deal on the LRT cars. So our next mayor and council are gonna have to address that issue because we don't wanna build a line without cars for people to be riding to get to the places they wanna go in the West End. Do you remember sitting with me in a radio studio years ago when we went into the interview playing a game called Unpopular Opinions? Do you remember this? You walked <laughs> you you walked into a snowstorm blind. I loved it. I won't forget it. It had nothing to do with you. I was doing it through the course of the show and people were sharing the unpopular decisions. I, I couldn't read all of them, quite frankly. Some of them on the text line, I was like, I don't think that qualifies as an opinion. That's a little more than an opinion. But you walked in, you sat down, you were such a good sport. And I said, Kim Chrishell, what is your unpopular decision? I don't know if you remember what you told me. You said you feared that with Edmonton's transit expansion, that we were holding ourselves back with technology that was going to become outdated by the time it was built. Do you still feel that way? I have concerns, but I recognize that, for example, on the LRT, look, we're locked in on a contract. So I'm very realistic and practical. And we have money from both the feds and the province. So to to put the line on pause, uh, I think, is not possible, given that we're already into a contract. So the next mayor is going to have to focus on getting it done on time, on budget, and making sure we have a rail car deal. Um, in terms of technology, I, I think that there are a lot of things we can improve. How about construction and synchronizing our light systems? We still don't have that right. How about using technology to actually make dats work and get people around? Uh, so... Yes, I, I am concerned about what's coming in technology, but I also see opportunity. If you had 30 seconds, I'm asking every candidate this this morning, a complete stranger steps into an elevator with you, recognizes you and says, Kim, we've got about 30 seconds together. How are you going to earn that person's vote? What do you tell them? Look, I'm going to tell them we are in tough. I think people know this. And it's going to matter that our next mayor has experience and understands how to move our city forward together. And the other thing that I'm going to tell them is, you know, don't vote out of fear. Don't make a calculated decision based on party politics and divisiveness. I am saying to Edmontonians, vote for something. And a vote for me is a vote for Edmonton. With politics, uh, I was saying this earlier in the show, I'm not sure if they're more polarized than ever, but it sure feels that way right now. Uh, how will you yeah. build consensus, not, you know, as mayor within a council? Um, how will you work with political opponents or, or, or naysayers, people that didn't vote for you? And how would you make things happen with other levels of government that may not be inclined to play ball? Well, I think it's important, and I've said this from the day one, I don't like party politics of the city. The city's not designed for it. We're one mayor with one vote. And the whole key solution for the next mayor is to develop an immediate team from new councillors that are going to have different political perspectives and you need to find common ground. Then they need to empower the new city manager to start making what will be some challenging decisions. Because let's be real, we don't know our fiscal position. And the very first thing that council deals with in November is the budget. The next thing we need to do is who cares what party's in power? The next mayor needs to be able to work with the provincial government and the federal government and try to get wins for Edmonton. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not prepared to fight for our city. I will. And I've been a strong voice in the past. But it is not about party politics. You know, earlier you were talking about the federal government. You know, we could be in election in two, in easily in two years from now, if not sooner. 
and we may not see the federal liberal liberals in office, we could get a totally different party. We don't know. Same with the provincial government. So relying on the party politics game, I think is a big mistake. I think at the local level, we make decisions that affect people's lives every day. So vote for experience, vote for somebody who has a track record of getting real things done for the city of Edmonton. And that is what I'm saying a vote for me is all about. And, uh, I look forward to October 18th, Ryan. There you go. That's Kim Chriselle, candidate for mayor in the city of Edmonton. It's nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. It's nice to see you, too. Good luck the rest of the way. Uh, Coming up in just a moment, we'll turn our attention to the city of Calgary, uh, where you'll hear from uh, mayoral candidates, uh, Giotti Gondek, who's going to join us first, Bradfield, Jan Damery, Jeff Davison, and Jeremy Farkas. Uh, by the way, in follow up, Sam, we have not discussed this. This is me throwing you uh, an absolute curveball, which will surprise no one. Um, are we able to take the feed from our studio monitor uh, and put that impose that into real talk for a second? Or is that a separate? Not, no, it's not, not possible. No. Maybe we could take camera four just take to show everybody four, what I'm talking show, about for those on yeah, for those go. listening on the podcast. I wanted to let you know that literally since our conversation earlier this week on Fat Bear Week in Kenai National Park, we have not stopped watching uh, the live feed at Explore.org. The Grizzlies of Kenai National Park. We're now watching. It looks like Hoyles looks like a snowstorm. Maybe rain. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I rain think or snow. I mean, sleet. Can we say sleet? sleet? I like and then, sleet. And then we've got both in there. Look at that. Oh, they're onto something. The Grizz are running. This is the second coolest thing that's happening live on the internet right now. Of course, number one, the coolest thing happening on the internet. Our municipal election extravaganza. We now turn our attention to my hometown. This is where I grew up. And we're going to talk to five candidates for mayor leading off with Dr. Jody Gondek, a Calgary city councilor in Ward 3 since 2017. Before that, she was the director of the Westman Center for Real Estate Studies at the University of Calgary. She's also served on the Calgary Planning Commission and holds a Ph.D. in urban sociology. It's so nice to have you here on the show. Thanks for making time for us this morning. Me on. This should be fun. Yeah. How are you feeling? Ten days to go. You got two weekends of of door knocking, campaigning left, and and recent polls are are showing you you're you're neck and neck. You're duking it out. But but right now, people are saying you might be the favorite down in Calgary. You know what? Polls are great. They're a snapshot in time. They show you that you've got momentum. But we are running flat out. There is uh, big stakes at play here, and so I'm just working hard. My team is running with me. We have. 10 days left. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, Calgary is one of those cities. I mean, same thing in Edmonton, where I think a lot of people are paying attention across Canada, too, when there's when there's not going to be an incumbent in the mix. Right. I mean, obviously, you've served as a city councilor. You've been part of of of, of the ethos down in Calgary. People understand what's going on down there. But there's going to be a bit of a different vibe, regardless of of who wins. If you're elected mayor, what's going to be the biggest change? I mean, I know this won't be Nenshi 2.0. What is what does a mayor Gondek city of Calgary look like? You know what? It uh, it all depends on what what is happening in the environment. We are going to be coming out of um, a terrible economic downturn. We are going to be coming out of this pandemic and the recovery that we are seeking is going to be rooted in resilience. And so we're going to make sure that we are incredibly focused on not only economic resilience, but social resilience and environmental resilience, because if your labor force is strong, your economy will be strong. And if you are watching the things that influence the business sector, then you will get it right. I, it's it's uh, it's tough to get a read on Calgary, 
I think for people across the country, you know what I mean? I mean, it's been the it's been uh, Calgary. I always always, uh, joke around about how Calgary and Edmonton are so different. Edmonton had like one civic slogan for like 45 years. And then with much controversy, uh, it no longer was the city of champions. They tore down the signs. Calgary seems to kind of rebrand itself every few years. And it's all about the new West and energy. And there's a lot of positive messaging there for obvious reasons. I mean, it's driven Canada's economic engine. But Calgary skyline has a lot of lights turned off downtown, too. I mean, it's not just COVID-19. There's a lot of other factors at play. How do you manage that? Well, I think one of the big things we need to do is make sure that we can come out from under the shadow of a provincial image. That's that's been something that's keeping us down. So I'd like to make sure that Calgary is known for what we do well. And that is that we are a center of excellence in a transitioning economy. You know, come here if you want to be part of using innovation and technology to create solutions that we can use across sectors, solutions that are more sustainable, greener and cleaner. I think we've been so fixated on the output of energy production that we forgot to focus on the fact that we've been leaders in the way we produce that energy. So let's highlight what we do well and the fact that we have been leaders in this sector and all sectors. You've been uh, very vocal and very critical of this provincial government, in particular, uh, its handling of the COVID-19 file. A lot of people are looking at this, these municipal elections as, you know, uh, basically an, uh, getting an idea of who can work with whom, who can build consensus, not just within their own council, but also with other levels of government, including a provincial government. How would you make that happen? How would you get things done with a government you know, whose views you made a lot and may not align with? I think you have to be um, incredibly intentional and you have to understand the interest of your partner. With this particular provincial government, I think we are going to need to appeal to uh, the revenue opportunities. We're going to need to be talking about how they can improve the income taxes that they collect, which really keeps their government going. And I think we need to focus on how we fill those vacancies downtown by bringing in different types of businesses. We've been incredibly focused on having oil and gas headquarters in our towers And now it's time to start converting those spaces so we have different types of amenities available to the folks that are in that building. That's how we keep things moving forward. And I think that additional um, action in the labor force is what will appeal to the provincial government. What did Mayor Nenshi get right and what did Mayor Nenshi get wrong? So I will say this about Mayor Nenshi. Um, Everyone knows who he is. He helped put Calgary on the map in a way that was completely different than what we had experienced before. So, you know, full shout out to him for being bold and doing the things that he did and being such an incredible ambassador for our city. Did we always agree on things? Hell no. We had some pretty epic battles in council. But I think the important thing is that he's incredibly passionate about this city. And so while I may not have always agreed with his approach or, you know, his um, ideas, I respect the fact that he worked very hard for this city. I'm asking every candidate the same question. If a complete stranger walks into an elevator and there you are, you're both wearing your masks. Everything's kosher. But, you know, they say, hey, Dr. Gondek, you've got 30 seconds to earn my vote. Where do you go out of the gates? What's the top thing that you focus on in those 30 seconds? 
we already have an amazing city. It's a city that's beautiful. It is one that is incredibly affordable. It's one that's been welcoming to newcomers for many years. We still have the ability to attract investment, to retain talent, and to reestablish our socioeconomic advantage, but we have to be intentional. And that's why we need to talk about being the place that you need to position yourself in if you're interested in innovation and technology to drive a more sustainable economy. Come here and do this with us. Pretty interesting uh, to see both of Alberta's the most populated cities, Edmonton and Calgary, with big, ambitious transit plans, including LRT. Do you still call it the C train down there? Do you call it LRT? What do you call it in Calgary now? I can't remember. Oh, we call it all of the things. All, we of, are very okay, inclusive. all of the things. I just remember growing up there. I remember like Mayor Ralph Klein opening up the C train line like that is that. I mean, that was many moons ago. But that's when I think of Calgary, I think of a city that's obviously prior tried to prioritize uh, transit growth along with the civic expansion. But the green line has been a really polarizing project for people that aren't up to speed on that what's the position that you've taken on the green line and why do you think that it best fits a city over the next 10 20 or 40 years so one of the reasons i ran in the 2017 election was to make sure that north central calgary was getting a benefit from the green line and um, it was not slated to get anything until stage two so by being on council and pushing for the preparation work to be done the functional study um, and making sure that that got into the budget for stage one, we're now going to see improvements to the north that start with bus rapid transit and evolve into train as we get that funding. So it was important to make sure that we were truly building that north-south transit spine because that's missing in our city. The other thing that we did is we stopped doing sequential transit projects. I was incredibly frustrated that while we were looking at Green Line, we weren't looking at anything else. So now we've got something called Route Ahead, which is our overall transit plan that shows us kind of like a Gantt chart, if you will, all of the projects that we need to do to improve transit in the city, how far they can go with the money we have and how much more money we need from other orders of government to make those projects happen. So it's really a citywide approach now. I saw a message uh, or rather a piece pushed out by the CBC. You granted them an interview talking about some pretty disturbing, demoralizing, hateful, uh, racist, misogynist messages that staffers of yours had encountered um, as a prominent woman of color seeking the top job in the city of Calgary. What does that do to your resolve and what's your message to all the young people or citizens of Calgary that look to you and see themselves represented? I think this campaign has exposed that type of um, disgusting behavior that was underground for so long. I think every candidate has probably faced something similar. Um, I would say that for my team, my team is largely comprised of volunteers. I have very few staffers, um, but my Ward 3 team and my volunteers were receiving messages that I'm used to seeing. Uh, you know, um, I see the C word very frequently. I get called um, racial names quite often. So I'm sort of numb to it, which is a terrible thing to have to do. Um, but I let it slide. I, I pack it away and i you know, I process it later, but right now I have an election to win. And if I back down now because of those things, I would send a message that they win. And I can't do that. I don't know if you remember having me on back last December when I said watching the soldiers vote and then the Proud Boys in the streets of Calgary was something that was going to break me. I didn't let it break me. I got up and I fought it and I will continue to fight it. Our reputation as a city is one of being progressive, inclusive and welcoming. And those people will not keep me down. I know they won't keep other candidates down. They don't win.
It feels like Alberta has a reputation problem right now. Uh, how would you as mayor of Calgary work on changing that or impacting that? It is important to make sure that the institutions that are public facing are incredibly representative of the people. So I'm hoping that members of council that get voted in are representative of our population. And that's how it starts. The image that you portray has to be one where leadership reflects the people. And then you engage with a broad group of Calgarians and make sure that you are listening to their ideas and their perspectives, whether it is community leaders, people in the social service sector, people in the private sector, use their ideas to build great things and bring prosperity back to our city. Uh, in closing, uh, Jody, we've got about 30 seconds left. Uh, obviously, a vote has a great deal of value and people value their vote uh, for obvious reasons. I know that everyone counts for you right now. It's a tight race. And, and I know you don't even probably want me talking about the fact that you're leading the polls because you want to make sure everybody goes out and votes. Right. Why should people give you their vote above any other candidate? You know, I've demonstrated that I've got the experience, the character and the will to do this job. I'm very interested in moving our city forward towards opportunity and, like I said, towards prosperity. And what I'm doing is offering the strength and support that we need to accomplish our common goals. And I will never forget that I am one of the people. I simply happen to be in a position of leadership to provide public service to make our city shine again. That's Dr. Jody Gondick, uh, was a Calgary City Councilor, now wants to be mayor. Thanks for making time for us. It's really nice to connect with you again. Thanks for having me on and happy Thanksgiving. To you got it. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And of course, to everybody that's tuning in, especially if it's your first time checking out Real Talk, welcome to the family. You can subscribe to our email list on our website, ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find our question of the week. Wanted to take a quick moment to mention that again, ryanjesperson.com right at the top of the page. If you click on it, you'll find our question of the week. Every week, our friends at Y Station, our official research and strategy partners, push this out for us last Thursday, September 3rd. 30th, the inaugural National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We want to know how you marked that day, and we're asking you to share your reflections on what you've learned. It takes about three minutes, and of course, that feedback is invaluable to us, gives us a better understanding of where our audience is at, and of course, uh, gives us some valuable insight into the subjects, uh, the topics that really matter most. In just a moment, we'll talk to Jan Damery, an economist seeking the mayor's chair in Calgary. Quickly, I want to remind you that the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge right now finally have these big trailers rolling into the lots they're restocking their inventory car dealerships across the province you know if you've been in the market have been struggling getting new inventory so they've been putting their focus on the pre-owned lineups and of course at sherwood and st albert dodge they've been proud of that people are coming from across the province to pick up ram trucks grand cherokees durangos wranglers what have you those challengers <laughs> Well, they've got 300 plus new Ram 1500s on the way and hundreds of Jeeps, which means better selection for you, the customer. You can browse the dealerships online under the sponsors tab on our website. The next candidate for mayor in Calgary we'll talk to is an economist who's worked in the, the energy sector, the not-for-profit sector, and the public sector, most recently as VP of External Relations and Engagement at Calgary's YWCA and is a sessional lecturer in economics at the University of Alberta, Jan Damery, making her Real Talk debut. It's nice to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us. 
It's great to be here, Ryan. And how's my birthplace? Uh, your birthplace in the city of Edmonton, as you know, it's a beautiful city. As you know, uh, let me ask you, how's my birthplace? It is awesome. We've got one of those bluebird days, crisp fall. Actually, favorite season of mine is the fall. I just wish it wasn't It wasn't uh, so short. Yeah, no kidding. Isn't that the truth? Uh, I, don't, I don't know much about your story. I haven't, I'm looking forward to a chance to get to know you over the next oh. nine and a half, ten minutes or so. But So you're, you're what? You're born and raised Edmonton girl. You moved down to Calgary for work. What was the story? I, that's exactly it. I moved to Edmonton in 1990. Think of it as my adult home. And uh, I was an energy economist working at the Alberta Department of Energy and then made my way to TransCanada Pipelines when they moved their head office from Toronto back to uh, Calgary in 1990. And that was, you know, in the 90s, this was the place to be. Opportunity, verb, it's one of the reasons I'm running to be mayor because we've got to create this opportunity for our future generations and our kids. Okay, so how does that happen? Where do you start when you roll up your sleeves? It starts by painting a positive vision that can really rally all Calgarians. Uh, we have everything we need to be this global place. I know that because I've also worked outside of the city. I've worked globally. And uh, we, our confidence has been shaken in the last four years. And a large part is just seeing the lack of leadership on council, which is one of the reasons I've made the bold move, given my extensive leadership experience, to throw my hat in the ring to pave also the wave in behind me to get more people engaged. My reflection on COVID has been how important local and local economy is. Okay, so you, you say that leadership has lacked or has been lacking at Calgary City Hall. Let's get specific. What are you talking about? I'm talking about lack of governance in terms of how council is run, incredibly divisive. Uh, we've had a situation in the current three councillors running to be mayor. In some sense, have been vying for mayor uh, for the last four years. So lots of posturing. Uh, council, because of that divisiveness, um, has done half measures, has kicked big decisions down the road, even in a pandemic crisis, could not come together to act in the interests of people. Uh, so for me, it truly is lack of leadership, lack of understanding, too, that the role of mayor is not the role of councillor, Role of mayor is about pulling people together, being able to step aside from your own personal view and position, uh, but bring people on to a common vision and drive things forward in the interests of our public. I'm the non-politician running to be mayor, because I think it's leadership that we need to go forward. We've heard that from a couple of candidates. It's not a new statement. It resonates with people. Uh, but I had somebody on the earlier chat when another candidate for mayor in the city of Edmonton said, I'm not a politician. And somebody said, that's a red flag for me. What would you say to the people that that statement makes them nervous? Red flag, because I think we have to get from I'm not a politician. It's not about the gamesmanship for me. It's about actually doing the right thing and being a public servant. Uh, I've uh, through my own career have done that, Ryan, in terms of I've gone in and out of for profit, for profit and not for profit to serve some of the most vulnerable in our cities, most re recently at YWCA Calgary. And it's about leadership. And I've been known all my career to bring people together from diverse perspectives to get big things done. This is the problem. We can't wait any longer in this city to keep kicking issues down the road, uh, pointing fingers at other levels of government as to why we're not doing things. Uh, the city is an incredibly powerful organization and we need leadership to drive us forward. We need basic governance. 
this is uh, an interesting opportunity. Uh, me talking to you, you know, an energy economist, somebody who moved uh, to Calgary for work. Obviously, uh, you know, I mean, pipelines are big. The, the energy industry is obviously huge. Uh, all the preamble. Let's assume that everybody recognizes that Calgary's done a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to to Canada's economy over the past number of years. But also anybody paying attention to global trends, to markets, to where investment is going, knows that while there is still obviously reliance on oil and other uh, products, natural resources where Alberta is rich, there is also a major transition. That means opportunity, of course, as I know you're going to say, but I know a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this podcast or that are watching us live right now are, are going to know how you're going to differentiate your leadership from what we've seen. I'm going to say, for example, at the provincial government level, where they continue to throw cash at oil and gas and what's proven to be an unsuccessful after unsuccessful venture. How do you manage that transition to ensure that Calgary maximizes its potential? Yeah. The mayor has a huge role in being a signal booster and fanning the flames literally on how critical the oil and gas and energy sector is. Uh, we've not been talking enough about the energy transition that is happening. Uh, and uh, when we think about the role of government to create the conditions for these transitions to happen smoothly. Uh, and it's also looking at other industries that are also starting to take off that we have not talked about in comparison to energy. And I'm speaking specifically about agriculture. We are one of the leaders in agriculture. We are, we are leaders in biomedical. We are leaders in finance that we've gotten that sort of great foundation because of the energy sector. And all of it is transforming through digital and tech. Um, I don't view tech as a replacement of oil and gas, um, but it's actually starting to infuse, which is helping people scale businesses and employ. And this becomes about the workforce of the future, which we have this unique ability if we can also drive up our graduates, it's one of the key aspects of my platform about revitalizing downtown Calgary by getting students and faculty living and working downtown, working with our post-secondaries. So we also have more talent that helps fuel all of these diverse sectors. I believe we have missed almost the idea or the concept of local economy and grassroots economy uh, and we don't have to always attract the elephants from the outside, but I think because we've been so successful in oil and gas, we think that we have to go elephant hunting for other big industries to come in here. We have so much going on right here that can serve both our local and global needs. It's how do we create and get government out of the way? That's the economist in me. It's about setting those, those guideposts that free up entrepreneurs. And when you even look at the oil and gas companies right now, they are transforming because they want to be in business 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now. We need to let that happen and celebrate it. I believe we can be the center of energy transition and green tech. And we, also our kids are telling us that's what they want. We've got 30 seconds left, which is perfect because that's the context of my question. If a complete stranger encounters you in an elevator and says, Jan, you got 30 seconds to earn my vote. What are you going to tell them? Do you believe in the future of this city? I do as well. It's about leadership. It's about having demonstrated leadership, pulling us all together so that we can become the global center to live, learn, work, and play. We're gonna do that by creating new jobs. We're gonna do that by having a train from the airport to downtown to Banff. So we become a tier one convention city center that attracts the world to us. And we're actually gonna make downtown this amazing vital place that people wanna be, live, work also going to keep our kids here 
I've got a 24-year-old um, who has left the city, can't find a job. And one of my key outcomes of this election is we're going to create an environment where our kids want to stay and build their lives. Are you in? That's Jan Damery, candidate for mayor in the city of Calgary. Thanks for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Really great to talk to you, Ryan. Thanks so much. You bet. I'm keeping an eye on the live chat. This is good. An engaged audience. Got a whole bunch of people checking this out. If you're listening to this later in the day, or if you're listening to this at any point, I mean, you may be listening to this on your walk or your cycle or your transit ride or your drive to the polls. Maybe it's Monday, October 18th, and you're listening right now. Who knows? We're doing this live on October 8th, but you can always hit us up on social media, in particular on Twitter with the hashtag RealTalkRJ. We'd love to know your thoughts on what you're hearing here as part of our municipal election extravaganza. I love this from Terry, who says, uh, Jespo, please encourage people to vote for school board trustees, even if they don't have kids. We need that message pushed out. I'm hearing too many people say I don't have kids, so I'm not voting. Albertans will also be voting on some referendum questions, including equalization uh, coming up in uh, a short while here on this show. After we talk to uh, Jeremy Farkas, that'll be in about a half hour from now or so, 20 minutes, maybe we'll talk to Dr. Mark Crawford, an expert on equalization out of Athabasca University. We want you to feel like you're up to speed. And so you're answering that question clearly and based on your conviction. Our next guest is the president of Big Rig Collision Group. It's a company that specializes in commercial vehicle repair, refurbishment. He graduated in 2004 from the MIT Entrepreneurial Master's Program, was nominated in 2008 as a leader of tomorrow by Business in Calgary magazine. A pleasure to welcome Brad Field to the program. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks for having me. Super excited about being here. Uh, So what is it that prompts a guy running a big business to seek the mayor's office. Yeah, well, been in Calgary nearly 50 years. Uh, started my first business here in Calgary, raised my family here, married my high school sweetheart. But, you know, at the end of the day, what I've seen over the last four years is just a true lack of leadership. And uh, if it was just about uh, jobs and economy and, and building infrastructure, I probably wouldn't be at the table. Uh, you know, for the most part, I see uh, that there's a need for leadership. It has to come from the outside. And uh, I, I don't believe fi- uh, City Hall can fix City Hall. So, yeah, super excited about the opportunity to lead this city what would it look like how would you do politics differently if you were elected mayor you know, for me, it's it's all about collaboration and leadership. And I know that everybody says that. But at the end of the day, I have real world life experience in doing that for decades. And it's about bringing people together, having meaningful dialogues. You know, I often say if you go into every uh, every conversation with an open an open heart and an open mind to listening, learning and sharing knowledge, that's where real progress happens. And so it, I think that's what we need right now as a leader of people. Uh, right now in, in city council, we've got managers or mid-level bureaucrats at best. Uh, We don't have any people, uh, any leaders that are truly leading people. How has your campaign evolved, if at all, over the past number of weeks or months? Well, I started this, I committed this uh, journey uh, three and a half years ago. So I've been working towards uh, this election day for three and a half years. And uh, yeah, it's definitely evolved. And uh, it's about name recognition. There's no question coming in from the outside. We knew that we had uh, an uphill battle. I often joke that uh, I'm a somebody in my world, but I'm a nobody in the rest of the world. So uh, no question. We knew we had to build name recognition, but we've got huge momentum. Uh, I've been making connections with all demographics, all cultural sectors, and it's just super exciting to engage with people in conversation real people on the street business owners uh yeah we're we're on the right path you're feeling really good 
Okay, so people are going to and we've seen this in our live chat today, and I've heard it anecdotally many times. I'm sure you have as well. People say, obviously, I'm sure that business savviness or business experience is, is without a doubt a valuable asset for a mayor to have. But a, the city can't be run like a business. So how do you find that balance? Yeah, there's no question. I think it's about, you know, being bringing best practices from business, no question. But I've also spent uh, years in non-for-profit and mental health and addiction. Uh, I've worked with government sectors all over the world uh, at fate, federal, state, provincial, municipal levels. Uh, so I have a good working knowledge, not only in government, but also in the private sector. So I think I've got that balance around community service, business acumen and working with government without the baggage attached of being a politician. Let's talk about your experience and your perspectives on, on mental health and addiction. Alberta and, and obviously Canada uh, is in the throes of a, an opioid crisis. And if we weren't right now in the midst of a fourth wave of a pandemic, uh, quite frankly, we'd be talking about uh, opioid use and we'd be talking about overdose deaths far more than we are right now. It's one of the compounding tragedies around this reality. How would you approach this file? What would you do differently than what's being done right now? What do you think works and what do you think doesn't? Yeah, for me, it's about education. You know, I look at myself uh, going back, say, the last five, seven years as I began to volunteer my time in uh, mental health and addiction, uh, Terminator Foundation, local foundation here in Calgary uh, that was uh, working with uh, young adults coming out of addiction and training them in the sport of triathlon. And that's where I was transformed as a person to learn more about addiction and, and where it comes from, when it stems from, and removing that stigma around it. So it's about collecting all, uh, you know, AHS community uh, uh, networks and associations and mental health and addiction agencies coming together and collaborating, making sure that we have a common goal in mind. And it's also about funding too. You know, there's a question around, is there enough money? And uh, and being in non-for-profit, I was board chair of Terminator Foundation. Uh, for every dollar that's out there, there's, you know, 20 agencies looking for that dollar. And if they all get their fair share, they get five cents. You can't do anything with five cents. That's the challenge. So we got to look at the funding model. We got to make sure that we can maybe talk about shared services between agencies, um, you know, lower the overhead. So more dollars can be actually spent on where it's most needed. What's your position on supervised consumption services? Yeah, I think it's a stopgap measure. Again, um, you know, it saves lives, no question. Uh, there's uh, lots of controversy. We got to get the stakeholders at the table. Uh, you know, the community associations, the residents, because you know there's some uh, there's some challenges around public safety and security around these sites too, as well. But there's no question they save lives. But I think we have to look at the overriding uh, issue of what are we doing in the long term uh, and uh, supervised injection sites. You know, it's a it's a little bit of a band aid, but I think they're necessary. We just have to make sure we're working with uh, different community associations and the stakeholders to make sure that everybody's on the same on the same page. A big part of your campaign messaging has been empowering uh, the next generation. Tell me about this proposal around a young adults advisory council. What does that look like? Yeah, you know, as I've engaged thousands of Cal Calgarians over the last three and a half years. And, and but the reason why I'm really interested in, in public office is my kids, Mitch, Kyle and Haley, 30, 28 and 22. And I want to make sure that they choose Calgary 
to for their career paths, raise families, live, work, and play. And so I've engaged with that next generation to make sure that they have a voice at the table. I find quite often as a society or leaders, uh, we have these conversations without actually having the stakeholders at the table. Uh, so for me, it's efficient, uh, but two, it uh, just makes sense to have uh, the future of Calgary at the table in those discussions. I, I suspect I know what you're going to say, Mayor Nahed Nenshi did wrong. Uh, you, you've you've sort of uh, had a strong indictment of the leadership down there, of the management at City Hall. Uh, what's something that he did right? Oh, he, you know, a great champion for the city of Calgary on a global stage. No, there's no question. I've had uh, have the, had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with Mayor Nenshi over the last six, eight months and uh, building a little bit of a relationship. And he's been a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a guidance for me, too, as I enter into the political system. But, uh, yeah, a champion uh, for Calgary. And, you know, and again, sometimes it's not about right or wrong. It's about uh, different. And I lead differently than he does. Uh, I think my, uh, you know, choice of empowerment is the better way to go. Uh, empowering the sixteen thousand uh, city of Calgary employees. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's about methodology. I would say. So if you take a look at the polls, and and I know you're going to say, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say the only poll that matters is going to be on Monday, October eighteenth. But the fact of the matter is, you've got your work cut out for you. You're not polling in the top three right now. You've got two weekends, about ten days to go. How do you spend them? And what's going to be your message to Calgarians? Yeah, I love playing from behind. Uh, you know what? It, it makes you hungry. And so, yeah, we're super excited. It's door knocking. It's media interaction. Uh, it's advertising. It's signage. Uh, but I'll remind you of 2010 when uh, the media and the, the polls said it was a two person race between uh, Barb Higgins and Rick McIver. And if I remember correctly, neither one of them be- became mayor. So uh, we're we're in the right place. We've got momentum building. Super excited about where we're going and, uh, and just get out and vote on Election Day. What would uh, from a policy perspective? You know, I mean, certain, I think, you know, additions of city council, if you will, will be known for certain trends or investments or priority projects. How would Calgary look demonstrably different uh, with regards to the direction it goes in or significant policy positions than it has for the past number of years? Yeah, for me personally, it's about having access. Uh, I'm an open door policy, uh, open door uh, uh, person uh, in all my organizations, whether not for profit or uh, in businesses in different countries around the world, Uh, having access to the mayor's office, having an actual relationship with the business community, different cultural sectors, demographics. I've uh, committed to Calgarians, if you want to set up an advisory council that will have direct access to the mayor's office, I, I, I'm excited about that opportunity. Uh, the other council people have uh, made comments that you can't possibly do that. You don't have time. And I'm like, I'm going to make time because that's what's important, making sure that we have people at the table that have a have a voice that's heard. Brad Field, the candidate for mayor in the city of Calgary. Appreciate your time. It's been nice to get to know you a little bit. Thanks for this. Thanks, Ryan. Take you, care. Have a great day. Yeah, you as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Uh, in just a moment, we'll talk to Jeff Davison. Uh, In the meantime, I want to remind you that the team at Eden Landscaping is heading into the fall season, of course, wrapping up projects, bringing outdoor spaces to life and getting ready for that winter season where they spend a lot of time mapping out, planning and designing those projects that they'll break ground on as soon as the spring weather allows. You can check out their portfolio online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Of course, they've got some beautiful 
layouts, an ultra-modern trapezoid house, beautiful design, natural beauty in Balmoral Heights, and then that stunning stonework in Sherwood Park. They work in and outside of the Metro Edmonton region. Albertans can check them out via the contact, rather the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com or directly at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our next guest, candidate for mayor in the city of Calgary, was born and raised there. Jeff Davison spent 20 years in the energy and tech sectors. In 2017, he was elected as a Calgary City Councilor for Ward 6. He's served on the Board of Directors for the Calgary Municipal Land Corporation, Calgary Economic Development, and the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund. He's making his debut on Real Talk this morning. Jeff, it's nice to see you here. Thanks for making time for us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, you bet. So you so you could seek re-election as counselor, but you go, nah, I'm going to go for the mayor's office. How come? Well, you know, I think the city needs somebody who can provenly get things done. And, you know, as I've done with many files, like getting our new event center done, like bringing a film industry here, which has now grown to over half a billion dollars in our city. Uh, we got to move this city forward. That's that's what we've got to do. We need a better economy. We need to plan for new jobs. We need to be thinking about a safer and more inclusive city. And, and ultimately, I think about it's time to get excited about Calgary again. What do you get excited about when when you think of Calgary? What drives you? What motivates you? I think just the amount of opportunity I've seen over the last four years in terms of my time on Calgary Economic Development and the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund and working with the Calgary Film Centre. I mean, young people, right? When we think about our city going forward, it's all about unlocking the potential of our youth and, and growing this city. And when I think about all the opportunity we have and thinking about Energy 2.0, agriculture how does technology fit into to fintech and aerospace and pharmaceuticals and the list just goes on and on uh it's time for us to go and capitalize on all of the foundational work we have now set uh, to move this city forward what would you do differently than the, the current manifestation of city council i mean i've been asking candidates uh and in particular i'm really interested to hear city councilors' responses to this what the current mayor, the outgoing mayor, in this case, Nahed Nenshi, did right and what he did wrong. Why don't we start with what you think he did right and, and then what would you do differently? I, you know, I, I never put it into the right and wrong. And I know a lot of uh, everybody who comes on is going to say, well, you know, they don't want to slag anybody going in or out. But I got to tell you, you know, anybody who enters their their tenure with a, with a major flood and exits with a pandemic, hats off to them. Right. Because I think we have to we have to understand that we need to elect the right leaders for the right time. And certainly I think, you know, the things he did right were certainly building community and building consensus in community and championing us forward. And during some very, very difficult times, you know, the, the flood was a difficult time. Uh, the downturn in the economy has been extremely hard on Calgary, probably more Calgarians disproportionately affected by, uh, you know, the, the negativity that's been out there today. And then now with the pandemic, uh, just an added layer. And so I think, you know, how he pulled the city together throughout all of those challenges is certainly, uh, you know, my hat goes off to him. I think we've got to think about how we move our economy forward in a different way, though. And I think, you know, with him stepping aside, it offers us a unique opportunity to reimagine Calgary and reimagine how we're going to compete very differently uh, in a world uh, of rapidly changing environment. Uh, it was just a, a couple of weeks ago that that you revealed a, a pretty personal detail that your family had received notice from Alberta Health Services that your six year old daughter's kidney surgery would be delayed i'm assuming in part due to strains and stresses on our healthcare system due to covid19 this has been a personal one for you and it sounds like it got 
a lot more personal a few weeks ago when you got word there. How does that impact how you approach that file? We're not out of the pandemic. I know I don't have to tell you. Well, you know, it's extremely difficult. And I think we've got to stop uh, enabling people to make bad decisions in our city. I think, you know, there's a lot of issues going on. We have to remember, I think now 84% of Calgarians have been double vaccinated. They're taking steps to do the right thing. Uh, and that's important, right? We, we, we all talk about rights and my rights are, but this is about responsibility and, and moving forward, doing the socially responsible thing for society. Uh, you know, I was hearing from a lot of people that they were frustrated with what was going on with the pandemic. Why are we catering to a bunch of anti-vaxxers that are ending up in our ERs? And then that letter came and my wife and I had sent us over the edge. You know, our daughter requires a, a number of surgeries. We see a lot of specialists uh, up at the Alberta Children's Hospital. Um, you know, for me, it's beyond the kidney. It's about what happens in an emergency situation. You know, she's got two back rods in, and if she has an emergency, uh, our doctor here is the top pediatric spine surgeon in the world. I don't want to have to go to Saskatoon if my daughter needs an emergency surgery. That is not Calgary. That is not Alberta. And I think, you know, by coming forward and talking about the story, uh, we have heard from thousands of healthcare professionals, from people who've been in the same situation, from people who are tired of having to cross a picket line to go to cancer treatment. It's wrong. This is not our province and we have got to figure out how we do better. You mentioned in, in you know your opening remarks that you, you believe one of the priorities in addition to the economy and jobs uh, needs to be ensuring that Calgary is a safer city. What does that mean? I mean, if you're a mayor, what would that mean in, in, in tangible policy and action? Well, you know, the, the, I think when you think about our downtown, for instance, you know, we've got a real opportunity to, to build tax base there and, and reimagine the downtown by creating a much more live, work, play, learn environment. You know, if you think about Calgary's downtown, it has been very corporate all of its life. After 5 p.m., there's, there's virtually nothing to do, you know, but the challenge we have is that even though we can bring those companies, yes, we've got young people living down there. Yes, we've got things like the event center moving forward to, to build a district of entertainment and culture. I can't get people down there. People just don't feel safe. And so we have to think about how do we put public safety first? How do we, how do we get back our downtown? And, and a lot of that is going to be through proactive measures and thinking about how do we deal with social disorder differently? You know, there's a lot of talk from candidates about did we or didn't we defund the police and did we do this or that? The reality is... I'll tell you this, if, if you don't think we need to do things differently in this city, come for a walk at 7 p.m. downtown with me. It'll scare the light. It'll scare the, the, the daylights out of you. Like, you, we've got to change how we do things. And just because we've been doing things for decades the way we have doesn't mean that's the best way to do things going forward. Is there one thing in particular that you think could be done that you think is evidence-based, maybe that you've seen done in, in another city that has, you know, I mean, proof of performance, basically, that you think Calgarians could buy into in this context? Well, really, I think what we have done is started thinking about outcomes, right? We've got to be outcomes driven as a city. And so, you know, where are we now? Where do we want to get to? And then how do we bridge the gap to get there? And I think like a lot of things, you know, Calgary is in a, in a very fortunate spot where we don't always have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to look at other mid-sized North American cities that have been here before. Right. When, when we talked about building the entertainment and cultural district, it was really about let's look to other places. Let's look to, to Kansas City and Columbus and Nashville and even Edmonton and think about how they've done things differently. And that's where we're at right now with, with you know, social disorder issues and, and how we're going to reimagine the downtown. What, have, what, what learnings can we take away that other jurisdictions have put together that we can make work for Calgary? 
I know that everybody in Calgary wants an entertainment district like Edmonton's, and it's been a big, long journey, hasn't it, in the city of, of Calgary? I know that you've been one, because I pay attention on social media, you've been one that's, that's really kind of hung his hat on that project actually happening. It's not without its naysayers. What do you say to people that you know are, are not convinced that it should be funded the way that it is, that there should be such a public interest in it? I mean, obviously, you're probably going to talk about return on in- investment, but it doesn't mean that people are going to buy into it, so to speak. Have people been saying that to you at the doors? Has that been a recurring theme, considering how prominent you've been in your commentary on it? You know, I think a lot of people have said uh, they're at a point where they, they know how downtown recovery is now important and they know what that district means to it. And so when we talk about the event center, I always remind people that it's not just about a hockey story, right? That's the benefit of the partnership we have. You know, the city will own the building. We will own the land it's on. We have a partner who's paying 55% of the cost and we get all of our money back, right? Our partner is also going to cover 100% of any cost overruns. So it's a good deal there. But more importantly, it's not about just the concerts and the hockey games and the things in that building. It's about building and activating the entertainment and cultural district, which, you know, by the way, will unlock two to $3 billion worth of investment, right? And if you think about Victoria Park here in Calgary, it's currently home to the world's least impressive parking lots, right? It has been for a century. Now it's time to, to think about how do we expand tax base? How do we re rejuvenate our, our downtown? How do we think about moving our economy forward? Well, these are the pieces that are really important, right? Yeah, I don't hear a lot of people just spell it out and say expand the tax base. I'll credit you for that. That's a significant thing, especially at a municipal level of government. I'm going to ask you this in closing. I've asked every candidate, complete stranger walks into an elevator. There you are. They recognize you despite the fact that, of course, you're wearing your mask, Jeff. And they say, we've got 30 seconds together. You've got those 30 seconds to earn my vote. What do you say to them? Well, I'd probably ask what floor they're going to because uh, I'm standing there. But, you know, uh, you know, I'd say to them this. You know, track record is key and, and past behavior is uh, a good indication of future behavior. And as the the one person in this election who has actually moved some pretty contentious files forward and gotten things done uh, to the betterment of all Calgarians, uh, I would say, you know, do your homework in this election. Right. It's important to think about who who is setting us up for opportunity, who is making things happen, who is moving our city forward. And there's a lot of folks that will try to claim you know, my role in something has been, but very few of them have led anything. And so I think that's really what's going to separate me. And and I would just encourage, you know, I I understand that it's a pandemic. I understand that we've had a federal election, but do your homework and get out and vote. This is the most important vote in Calgary's history. That's Jeff Davison. He's been a city councillor. He wants to be mayor. Thanks for making time for us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much and happy Thanksgiving. You got it. And to you as well. I saw a comment I wanted to follow up, by the way. We've got, we've got a lot of action happening on our live chat on YouTube right now. And I would, was it Ken? Somebody had a pretty good crack. I thought that was pretty good. I, I, I spoke earlier in a previous interview with another mayoral candidate that, you know, I said Calgary's done a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to Canada's economy over the years. I think it was Ken that said, uh, Calgary's done the heavy managing. Mm. Edmonton and Fort McMurray have done the heavy lifting. And I thought, well, that's an interesting comment. It's funny, but it's an interesting comment, isn't it, too? Because Calgary has been obviously, I mean, one of the things that Calgarians have been proud of for a long time is that Calgary had the second most or or probably still does have the second most corporate headquarters. I know they've lost some prominent ones in Calgary over the past number of years, and those have been real punches in the gut uh, because it kind of says something. It's it's like, Hoyles, you're going to roll your eyes because it goes right back to a sports metaphor. (laughs) But it's like what it does to a city 
and a city's identity or a city's sense of self when it loses its hockey team. Right. Mm -hmm. Ask Winnipeg about that. And then what it meant to Winnipeg to get it back. Ask Quebec City about that. Right. I don't know if Vancouver still cares about losing the Vancouver Grizzlies. The NBA. I think they probably still care about that. Yeah. Talk that Montreal might get the Expos back. But but it's the same sort of a thing with corporate headquarters. When your city attracts big corporate HQs, that's a big deal. When it loses corporate HQs, quite frankly, it sucks. And so I wanted to recognize that comment. I thought that was interesting insight into the dynamic of how those two cities or, or three, including Fort McMurray, have driven the economy together. I've always thought of, uh, you know, Edmonton as the blue collar city mm-hmm. and Calgary as the white collar city, like yeah. as far as oil and gas energy. Of course, there are exceptions, mm-hmm. but, you know, but I think that generally speaking, that's how a lot of Albertans see it. We ready to rock with our final candidate here. All right. This will be the, the fifth of five that we talked to uh, out of the city of Calgary. He's a born and raised Calgarian from the southeast community of Dover. He earned a, a degree in political science from the University of Calgary before launching a startup in data analysis and tech. And in 2017, Jeremy Farkas was elected as the counselor for Ward 11, also making his debut on Real Talk this morning. Welcome. Thanks for making time for us. It's good to see your face here on the show. We appreciate you participating. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Would you agree with the assessment, Calgary white collar, Edmonton blue collar, or is that a little too simplified for your liking? I think it's a little bit too simple. I think people have come to this province for opportunity. And I think about my own family story. My dad, he came as a refugee from communist Hungary. I know growing up in Dover, East Calgary, I didn't have a lot. Uh, but w- what I did have a lot of was opportunity. And my father worked very, very hard uh, as a tradesman to make sure that those doors that were close to him would be made open for me. And for me, I had to work full time through uh, university. One of my first jobs was uh, working in the shingle mill uh, in Ogden near where I lived. So I'd say the experience for Alberta, for Calgary and Edmonton, both, I think is a place where anybody can come from anywhere in this world and achieve something for their, themselves and their family. What drew you uh, back in 2017 to make that run uh, for City Hall to, to, to run as a city councillor? And, and even more so, what convinced you to throw your name in the ring uh, for mayor? So I guess two reasons. I'll start with my grandmother. So my Nagmama, she came from communist Hungary in 1956. And one of the things that she did when she became Canadian is that she would take fresh cut flowers from her garden and bring them down to the local city hall for older, her older woman. And I asked her why she do this. And she said, well, referring to the people who worked at city hall as in the, the politicians, the police, the firefighters, she said that these are the people that you could go to if you ever had a problem. These are the people that you could count on. And these are the people that you could trust. And for me as a young, naive Canadian, I, I didn't realize the gravity of what she was doing, but she came from a regime which had taken a lot from her. And for her to want to learn to love again, to trust again in her, in her country and to be Canadian, uh, that was such an incredible gesture. So back then I didn't think that when I grew up, I, I'd want to be a politician or anything like that. But I knew that my measure of success was to be somebody that she could go to if she ever had a problem, somebody that you could look up to, somebody that you could trust. So I think that the seed was planted then. But as far as the specific reason I chose to run, it was back in 2015. So every year in the city, uh, there's a contest called the Save Calgary Hackathon. It's a contest of mostly uh, young people, up and comers, entrepreneurs, coders. There's about several hundred of us trapped in a room for a weekend. 
They're given a really tough problem to solve. And whoever comes up with the best idea, either an app that they've invented or a business that they've started, is basically given a big cash prize and the blessings to go on to, to save the world. So uh, in 2015, I joined this contest and I met up with about six or seven other people. We uh, came up with what we thought was a great idea that would have been able to offer something of value to other people, give us a job, make some money. And by the end of the weekend, we actually won first place. So in the basement of City Hall, there's this photo of me holding this like giant sized check and uh, grinning ear to ear, shaking hands with Marinenci. But the problem was that uh, we lived in Calgary and we have this story that we tell ourselves of Calgary being open for business, entrepreneurial, with a can-do attitude. And to be clear, uh, Calgary is all of those things and Calgarians especially are all of those things. But because of this lack of city hall support, we couldn't actually get our idea off the ground, despite the fact that it actually would have been possible in places like Edmonton, like Vancouver and Halifax. And it was by the end of that year that many of my teammates had actually left Calgary for all these other places. So, you know, I did the probably the stupidest thing that a young person could do to, to run for politics and try to change things. <laughs> Hmm. You were uh, the lone dissenting vote uh, when Calgary Council met to discuss a vaccine passport bylaw. Considering the state of Alberta's hospitals right now and the strain on our healthcare system, how do you justify that no vote? Well, the, the province has clearly mishandled the situation, and I see why people would want the city to step in with its own systems. But looking at what was going on in other cities, uh, I didn't think that bringing in a, an extra set of uh, regulations that were further to confuse or contradict the situation would have helped. Say, for example, Edmonton City Council looked at the same thing, and as I understand it, they opted not to bring in their own system. So for me, I'm strongly in support of vaccination. I think absolutely everybody needs to get vaccinated. But my focus with COVID and the recovery is around education, ways that the city can act properly within its own legal jurisdiction. I've been talking to some of the candidates this morning about the other health crisis that Canada is seeing right now, and, and in particular, Alberta and British Columbia with, with the opioid crisis. How would you, as mayor of Calgary, approach this, the one that's killing Albertans every single day? So I'll take a step back and say my politics are generally fiscally conservative, but socially very progressive. And I see a moral duty to address this issue, but I also see a financial duty to do so. So I am very proud to have been a co-sponsor with Mayor Nenshi's Notice of Motion on Community Action on Mental Health and Addiction. From day one, I supported the funding for the strategy. I think it's a nation-leading strategy that allows us to be able to address recovery, treatment, prevention, being proactive on these issues. And I think uh, with respect, I think it's something that uh, many conservatives have not taken on as they should have, because if we're responding in crisis mode, frankly, it's just so much more expensive. Why would you want to address this in, uh, in a reactive manner when you can actually firstly address this crisis, save those lives, treat people with dignity, but also save money in the long run? So this is, a, this is an issue that's near to dear to, to my heart. I think one in five Canadians, if not more, will be impacted by mental health and addiction. Five out of five will be uh, knowing somebody close to them who is impacted. And it's something that we all have to come together on to, to be able to address. I know that you've you've pointed out proudly in, in mayoral forums and otherwise that you're the only city councilor uh, to vote against defunding the police. This is such a, a hot button issue because I'm not sure that the average person, if you talked about what defunding the police looks like, 
you know, you'd get many different answers. I think we can mm-hmm. all acknowledge that policing has evolved and needs to evolve. There are issues like systemic racism that have been part of public discourse over the past number of years. So how would you as mayor approach the evolution of policing? So I think the, you nailed it, right? The defund the police, that means many different things to many different people. Where I'm at is I, I fully address that, or I fully admit that we cannot police our way out of certain issues. Uh, we need to be putting those that programming in place uh, around social services, preventative, proactive measures so that in the long term that the, the burden on the police is less. But I think some proponents are asking for in a single year, massive reallocations or significant uh, budget cuts to the police. And I think that it actually, it serves against the, the stated aims around diversity and accountability. For example, something I'm advocating for is body-worn camera program, uh, things like indigenous liaison officers, better education, better partnership, uh, say with preventative and social agencies. But the fact is, if in a single year, you're gonna make that reallocation, uh, it just doesn't work. It's sort of like scrapping an airplane in mid-flight for parts. Uh, you have to stick the landing first. So what I want to see is a strong support for that uh, alternative call responses, strong support for that social infrastructure. Then as those uh, investments start to bear fruit, then we can right size the police budget as the demand on the police is less. But I think, say, for example, some of the statements that uh, we've seen here in the Calgary debate, say, for example, one is, and I quote, that the very foundation of policing is racist. I think that those are such extreme positions that sort of lose the nuance that you can be for the good good cops and against the bad cops. Uh, I understand to a certain degree, uh, and I don't want to invite you to push back on any element of this, but I I want to ask you what I think is a really fair question. I understand the strategy behind being the dissenting vote or being the no vote. In a way, it's an indictment of a city council, right? You, you, You have the opportunity politically to send a message to the electorate that I'm different than virtually everybody else here. Sometimes when the vote's 13 to 1. And you have sort of occupied that space in many circumstances on many votes through the course of your tenure on city council. What do you say to people that would wonder whether or not you're anything more than just the no vote? How do you convince people that you actually have a vision for the city that you'd be able to build consensus with other councillors with whom you may not agree? So I'm very proud to be running on a specific 10-point plan. So these are all the things that I'm for, uh, things like a four-year property tax freeze, things like visionary uh, investments and things like a train to the airport, uh, more mundane things like uh, reducing red tape, uh, making sure that our snow removal is adequate for residents. So I'd invite people, if they have any questions about what it is I want to achieve, to visit my website. It's just jeremy.ca to be able to see that. But you know, if I if I really wanted to just keep uh to, to offer criticism. I could have just, you know, kept my head down. I could have run again for as a city councillor. But, you know, the reason that I'm here in the city is that because my family wanted to come here to build something. I want to build something too. And all of these things are what I'm for. And as far as some of the, the votes that I may have cast no on, I think the context is important. So you had some councillors on your show today and uh, they had supported the city uh, starting to look at, say, selling off park space as a revenue source. We had a controversial uh, proposal for development in one of our parks, Richmond Green Park, actually paving over ball diamonds in order to allow condo development to come in. Uh, I voted no to that, but it wasn't because I was against anything. It was because I was for our parks. I love our parks. 
I want to keep our parks. I don't want to bow to the developer pressure. So again, uh, every yes or no vote has context. And I think uh, when I'm uh, how I voted, it's always been for my constituents and for my values and the principles that I campaigned on. Let me ask you this. This will be my final question to you, uh, Jeremy. And, and I want to swap it. I've asked every candidate, what's your elevator pitch? But I think this question is more important. Uh, you've committed to a four year property tax freeze. And we know that these next four years economically are going to be difficult for cities. There's obviously a lot of opportunity as well. But if you rule out property tax increases and, and, and I'm not here to champion for increases in property taxes, mm-hmm. but you really have a limited number of levers that you can pull. So if you say that you're not going to increase property taxes unequivocally for four years, it means that you're going to look at making cuts. So where do those cuts happen? So it doesn't actually mean significant service cuts. Uh, We've had economists such as Jack Mintz review my proposal. And in his view, it's achievable, it's realistic, and it can be done without significant service reductions. And the, the way that the tax rates work is that as development and growth occurs, you have more taxpayers coming online, which means even with a uh, tax freeze that allows the budget to increase in uh, certain strategic areas. So I'd want to continue to invest again in that social programming and adequate support for police, making sure that uh, we have quality uh, services and, and good uh, value for money. But just like any other family or business has had to, I think we, we have to live within our means at City Hall. And if we have less money coming in, we have to spend less money. So I think uh, in many ways, there's people out there who are looking for significant cuts to taxes. What I what I'm proposing, though, is uh, I think a compromise solution that uh, council can rally around and I think that the public can support. And I'll just close on saying I'm never one to ask others to do things that uh, I'm not willing to. I've led by example. I have a proven track record, not just when it's been easy, but frankly, when it's been really tough. Uh, for example, by turning down the city council golden pension. There's many areas that we can focus for waste and efficiency within the city hall bureaucracy that uh, we should be focusing on rather than asking already tapped out uh, Calgarians to pay even more. Uh, Jeremy, I just got to ask you this question because our live chat is just exploding right now. This it's just a quick the flag is just folded over on the pole, right? You're not flying the Canadian flag upside down behind you, are you? It's just folded over. Yeah, yeah it's just folded <laughs> over. That's what I think. Yeah, just wanted to make sure. I thought if he is flying it upside down, we better ask him. But I don't think you'd be pulling that move. I appreciate you taking the questions, Jeremy. It's been nice to have you on the show. Well, again, reach out to me anytime, J-E-R-O-M-Y dot C-A. Happy to chat with you. And again, thank you for this opportunity. Jordan. You got it. Thanks for this. That's Jeremy Farkas. It's I mean, it's a horse race in Calgary. Uh, I, I've been I've been trying to like, you know, polls are both relevant and irrelevant, uh, depending on how you look at them. And, and sometimes people might say, well, if, if members of the media and if talk hosts continue to talk about who's polling at the top, then it it's disadvantageous to those that are pulling behind. Uh, but then you also may, you know, sort of believe in that idea or the narrative that if you continue to push that people are polling ahead, then perhaps their base may not go vote because they believe that, you know, it's all said and done. It's wrapped up tidy with a bow. Let me just say this, that uh, Jeremy Farkas is polling just behind Jody Gondek. And those are the two that people believe will sort of be those two horses when it comes around that final turn on Monday, the 18th. Those could be the two. But I bet you some of the other candidates that were here on the show may take issue with that. And they've got big plans and a lot can happen over the next two weekends, over the next 10 days or so. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, Rose is wondering, did I just accidentally get this live chat's hilarious this morning. Uh, The flag is not flying upside down, my friends. Uh, We've got a we've got a flagpole in our place. Sometimes it happens. The flag wraps around and the stem of the maple leaf comes around this way a little bit and. 
That would have been a hell of a thing if he was flying the flag upside down in the interview, though. I will say that. I appreciated you asking, sure. but also like focus folks let's focus on <laughs> what folks, I was like what the people are saying well and it's kind of funny because we'll make judgment calls on the fly and listen uh, we love you guys you guys know we love you i mean i love every single morning we've got this like army of people that show up and wish each other good morning and it's just this amazing thing that happens with these hardcore real talkers that join us live and and this is proof that you can impact the show, that you can impact the editorial direction of the show. I saw the first few comments about his, is his flag upside down? I'm going, the flag's obviously not upside down. It's wrapped. I'm not asking that question. And then all of a sudden it turned into every second comment on the live chat. It's a shame you won't ask him about the flag. I thought, fine, I'll ask him about the fucking flag. Although you probably shouldn't say the fucking flag when you're talking about, I take that one back. No, you can say that. No, I don't want to say it. It's the Canadian flag. I've been talking to, to Wyatt, to our little guy. He just got his second sweater for the second season of Timbits. He's now in senior Dude. he's in senior Timbits and he's very excited to be wearing number 4 and I taught him all about I said you don't throw that sweater on the floor. The sweater does not go on the floor. And so if you go into his room now you'll see he's got his sweater properly hung. It's it is prim and proper. You got to treat the flags the same way. Like the people that fly flags outside their homes, they're all tattered and looking lousy. Take some pride in the flag. You know what I'm saying? No. What do you mean, no? <laughs> no. You don't take pride in the flag? I, it's, oh, you're about to open up a can. I know. And I maybe we shouldn't do that because we have another guest just waiting in the wings. No, I would love to hear you expand <laughs> your thoughts on this right now, please. And thank you. I would love to hear you expand your thoughts on this. You want to go there? This is this is unexpected. I just it's a it's it's a symbol. It's not it. It is a it's a piece of fabric. Come it, on. It doesn't. Seriously. It doesn't I, invoke something with. No. You? And I don't. And like it worries me when people like start wearing it and and making it like actually donning it and putting it like I just also think that, you know, Canada has a very problematic uh, identity. So everywhere in the world has problematic identities. It's what we do with it and how we act. And part of the reason on the flag is very meaningful to me. Okay. That's okay. We can have our different uh, yeah. opinions. I, and like, I, like, but when cool. looking when looking at that flag, that's what prompts me. Um, and, and with regards to this show and, and in real life, uh, you know, outside of the broadcast, so to speak, outside of the podcast, um, to feel conviction on matters that are problematic, like reconciliation, like environmental issues, like income inequality, like social programs, like the opioid crisis. You know, I want to be able to be proud to look at that flag because that flag to me, this is my opinion. Yeah. That flag does mean something to me, it means something big. It doesn't mean I have it. I don't have it tattooed on myself, uh, which think, is also like if know, someone wants to do that. Also totally cool. Okay. To me, it's like I love I, I, I respect and I like I see where our country is great. Yeah. I also see where it can do better. And I think that that is a true sign of being um like an engaged citizen absolutely and not saying not like blind loyalty totally i am with you 100 percent on that sam does the does the canadian flag does the maple leaf invoke something and you, you guys people you know you know what we're doing here we're going into conversation on equalization there's some strategy here don't tell any yeah, there's a little bit of strategy here sam does the flag do something to you yeah it does yeah i i enjoy seeing the flag i enjoy um i I'm in a position. I think I'm a lot closer to you, Ryan. Is like I I understand that there's a lot that Canada needs to learn from. There's a lot that Canada should not be proud of. But at the same time, it's like there's there's a way you treat a flag, 
and I think that there's, you know, having a little bit of respect for this national symbol is is important to me. Yeah. I totally agree with you. It's why when I see somebody burn the flag, I'm like, you Ooh. son of a bitch. But at the same time, pretty cool to live somewhere where you can burn the flag. Yeah. I to be right. Honest, where I, you're not going to get hung for it. Yeah, but if you look over in like the Middle East when they're trying to um, agitate and like get underneath American skin, what do they do? They burn the flag because people put so much emphasis on it. Yeah. Emphasis on it. So I just, I, to me, I, I, it's a piece of, it's a piece of cloth. Heather says, uh, we should only have the flag on flags. She says, I hate it when people literally buy all things flag and wear it. It's funny. You say you want to get under an American skin, burn the flag. And then you look and they've got like American flag string bikinis. American which, flag boxer shorts, which if you read like the official guidelines on the American flag, you are absolutely not to put that symbol on clothing. Of course not. Let alone somewhere where it could get skid marks. Yeah. So it's like if you actually really are rah rah America, you should not be wearing an American flag bikini. Yeah. All right. Fatima says, speaking as a Palestinian whose flag is illegal in Israel, flags are more then a piece of cloth. Ooh, yeah. Jillian says, yeah. this is an interesting take. Jillian says, I care more about the national anthem than the flag. Hmm. Kim says, my Gen Z kids and husband can't stand over the top patriotism. Huh. Haas says, meh. Flag, patriotism, an overrated concept unless we're at battle. Lalazaz says, reverence to a piece of fabric is very American. Malcolm says, I wear a Canadian hat every single day, and I'm pretty proud of what we've accomplished as a country, and I'm very proud of our quality of life. Meantime, Rob says, I'm going to tune in to Real Talk every single day to see if you're still watching the Bears. Duh, Bears. <laughs> Duh, Bears. Rob, you'll be thrilled to know we are still watching the Bears. Uh, we have a live shot now at Explore.org. Typically, we have a 24-hour streaming cable news on here, so we can stay up to speed on the world, uh, but it's Friday, and... Uh, I think I'd rather watch the Bears of Katmai National Park hunt for salmon before they head off to hibernation. Our next guest is going, at what point are they going to get to me? Dr. Mark Crawford is an associate professor of political science at Athabasca University. He's been a faculty member there since 2007, currently teaching courses in Canadian government and politics and democratic theory. Dr. Crawford, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us. Well, thanks for having me. Good morning. Uh, what does the Canadian flag, if anything, invoke in you or mean to you? We've been kicking this ball around the studio. Uh, well, these days it, it invokes in me, uh, um, uh, I, I guess, um, uh, a reminder or a symbol of, of decolonization. In other words, um, looking at it uh, historically, it replaced the Union Jack. Um, at least uh, in the minds of the majority of Canadians, although that process of decolonization uh, arguably was not maybe fully extended to the, uh, the First Nations people. But it, it does, it, to me, it represents, um, you know, uh, our evolution in, into a, uh, a modern, independent, uh, multicultural country you know even if it isn't a complete evolution so i think I'm, I'm starting to get like the seed planted in my brain uh were i to be a student of yours at athabasca U, I, I might i might pursue a thesis on how the same flag can be a symbol of both 
colonization and decolonization at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the, that paradox is what is in my mind these days when I, when I look at the flag, just because of, you know, you know the recent events, uh, hmm. uh, Founding indigenous uh, people, that sort of thing. Yeah, no kidding. I appreciate taking the question. Um, it, it sort of sets the scene, I think, for our conversation about this equalization referendum. Uh, this is a show we've dedicated this entire episode to the municipal elections coming up in our home province of Alberta on Monday, October 18th. Albertans will be asked to chime in on how they feel about daylight saving time. And I'm encouraging our audience to check out our August 3rd episode where we talk to Dr. Michael Antle about that daylight saving time question. You're an expert on equalization, and we wanted people to feel like they were voting based on their conviction and a proper understanding of the question at play. So here's the question that Albertans are going to be looking at on Monday, the 18th. Here's the equalization question as it will appear. Should Section 36.2 of the Constitution Act of 1982, Parliament and the Government of Canada's commitment to the principle of making equalization payments be removed from the Constitution? Let's get into this, Doctor. Where do we start? Well, uh, there's a legal dimension, an economic dimension, and there's always a political dimension. And uh, I guess we could start with the legal which I guess is the, the narrowest uh, um, category um, of thinking about this. Um, now, uh, Section 36.2 of the Constitution um, uh, commits the Government of Canada to ensure that provincial governments uh, have sufficient revenues uh, to provide um, reasonably comparable levels of public services uh, at reasonably comp comparable levels of taxation which uh, uh, sounds like a pretty uh, uh, reasonable anodyne uh, thing for, for people uh, uh, to be committed to. Um, now, I'll date myself a bit. I, I was a student intern in Ottawa, a parliamentary intern, uh, at the time that the Constitution, um, uh, not the 1867 Constitution, but the 1982 Constitution uh, was written. And I remember... Um, of course, when all the various premiers were uh, um, uh, exacting their little pounds of flesh um, as part of the constitutional negotiations, and uh, Premier Buchanan of Nova Scotia, Premier Hatfield of New Brunswick, and I think probably Premier Peckford of Newfoundland uh, all decided that they want to have, have this commitment in the Constitution as a principle. And um, so that's, that's the, the politics, uh, I guess, because they were uh, the strongly uh, the recipient provinces under the equalization formula back then. So, so that was the politics of, uh, of the inception of the constitutionalization of this. Um, now, the federal government was a little bit aghast at that at the time, uh, because, of course, uh, the question of, uh, of, of how much money the federal government gives uh, to regions for various reasons is a very practical one, very contextual one. And uh, they didn't want their hands tied too much in the constitution. So you just have this general, so they compromised with, by saying, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with having this commitment to the general principle of, uh, of ensuring that provincial governments have sufficient revenues to provide reasonably comparable levels of service at reasonably comparable levels of taxation. And um, 
it, it, it has flared up as a political issue from time to time because um, of, uh, uh, of the way that the context has changed, uh, the importance of, uh, uh, of the energy economy and the impact on, on revenues um, and on the, uh, uh, on the formula. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the basic statement of, of principle uh, to me sounds fairly uncontroversial. Um, and I suspect that to many of your listeners, it probably does too. But, you know, but doctor, you I mean, you've you've alluded to this, obviously, with the the, the politicization of it. Uh, you know, if, if, if a politician, uh, OK, if Jason Kenney says to Albertans, um, you know, you're sending your money to Quebec and Quebec has free daycare or all but free daycare and you don't. And, you know, and people get whipped into a frenzy because they can't stand the idea when really uh, it's not even close to accurate. People aren't sending money to Quebec. People are sending income tax to the federal government. The federal government is applying the equalization formula. Quebecers are taxed more than Albertans and their services and the cost of their services reflect that. Correct? Or am I wrong? Oh, no, you're correct. I mean, one of the greatest misconceptions uh, uh, is that it's a direct transfer from Alberta to uh, to have not provinces. Uh, it is it is a purely federal program that exists at federal discretion. That, that's the other funny thing about this referendum is that we're having a referendum about what the federal government should do. Uh, it is our tax, it is our tax money as well, of course, but, but it is about um, a, a constitutional amendment about what the, the federal government should be committed to in principle. Um, now, um, I guess one reason why perhaps we should be committed to it uh, in principle uh, uh, is that um, by uh, uh, helping to ensure that other, uh, other provinces have reasonably comparable fiscal capacity, it, it helps to ensure that people are moving to Alberta because there are jobs here and not just because, uh, you know, we have better public services. And, uh, or to put it a different way, uh, you know, uh, without equalization, uh, Prince Edward Island would would have to have a, a harmonized sales tax of thirty percent or something. So, um, and of course, that's not very practical. So, you know, it, 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 there are um, there are practical benefits to um, to uh, uh, having other provinces. Um, uh, being enabled in that way. So, Mark, I mean, you're giving us great analysis of, of, of you know, the, the history here and the application of it and the significance of it. But can let's get to the point. This referendum question is non-binding. It, quite frankly, means nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't create an impetus for the federal government to do anything with it. Jason Kenney believes yeah. that 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 it gives him a mandate to continue to fight Ottawa on that front. Uh, that's my opinion. Perhaps you'll agree. Perhaps you won't. Uh, but I think Jill makes a good point here where where even if this referendum did matter, which it doesn't, he says the question seems strange. I mean, if you remove equalization, then the government of Canada simply collects taxes and redistributes them however it wants. Is that the case? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, there are. all. Well, you know, the equalization formula is a way of of dealing with uh, two different problems. And one is fiscal imbalance, right? The, the problem that the, uh, the federal government um, has a far greater uh, taxation capacity, revenue raising capacity relative to its spending responsibilities 
compared to provinces. So what, what should the government do about that? Uh, uh, the, um, and the other problem is uh, regional inequality. Now, there are other ways uh, that uh, you could deal with fiscal imbalance. You could just give the provinces more tax points, right? And just say, well, you know, go raise your own, uh, your own taxes. I mean, the problem with that is that, of course, uh, a tax point is worth twice as much in Alberta as it is in uh, Atlantic Canada. So, um, what do you and, mean? You by, know, what do you mean by that? Um, well, like a one, what a. Uh, uh, you mean because incomes are higher here? Yes, because incomes are higher here. Yeah. Yeah. So, if, so I mean, we're let, let's go. You know, let's pretend, and I want to be extremely clear to our audience: this is not the case. But let's pretend that this referendum question actually mattered. Let's pretend like Albertans were voting and whatever they voted for became policy, which is not the case. What would a yes vote mean for the province of Alberta? Well, the advocates for the yes vote have a point, sort of, (laughs) in that it probably would strengthen Alberta's bargaining position in the sense that it it would indicate something about uh, the strength of alienation in in Alberta that we would be uh, talking about just getting rid of equalization if we could because it's so frustrating uh, when whenever we have a downturn we don't get uh, benefits from this program. Um, uh, but uh, you know it's um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say with the threat of what I was going to say. But it's all the, good. I mean, I'm just curious to know what a yes vote would mean for, for the province of oh, Alberta. But I mean, I, I think honestly, the answer is absolutely nothing. But I'm curious. I mean, well, if equalization I, were to be removed from the Constitution, what would be the implications? You know? Oh, uh, very little as a practical matter. I think that the policy would carry on much as before. So this is just political saber rattling. I mean, that's all it is, right? I mean, Jason Kenney wants to be able yeah. to say X percentage of Albertans voted yes to remove equalization. And then what this turns in. So basically what I'm going to say is, like, please jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. Feel free to lock horns with me here, Professor. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, to me, it's like if you want to hear more from Alberta's premier on how angry and alienated Albertans are, if you like the idea of Alberta separation, if you want to see the premier of Alberta threatening Ottawa, that Alberta's going to leave, then vote yes. Yes, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I would say that's probably correct. Now, yeah, uh, I would say so. The, okay. It, if we really wanted to um, to improve the, uh, the uh, transfer system, we might want to be proposing something about, on a policy level, about, uh, you know, saying, well, if, if, if fiscal capacities between provinces are narrowing, as uh, as uh, energy revenues uh, uh, decline, for example, uh, maybe the total size of the equalization program shouldn't be growing. I mean, maybe it should be shrinking because there's less inequality between provinces. Um, so that would be an example of a practical suggestion. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be on the table right now. Um, the the uh, the politics of this, uh, I think, originated when um, Jason Kenney was campaigning for leader of the United Conservative Party, when he was uniting the parties. And uh, this this was something that, uh, you know, part of the general program of how we were going to turn the clock back by uh, getting, being not only friendly friendlier to business, but also uh, tougher with um, 
with other provinces, tougher with Ottawa in particular, and uh, tougher with environmentalists and so forth. It was all part of that kind of package that uh, that that Jason Kenney was was promoting. Yeah, it was it was his commitment to Albertans that he would reverse the equalization formula that he and the other senior cabinet ministers under pre, uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper gave the green light to. Right. There, it wasn't a problem for Jason Kenney when he was a federal cabinet minister. It is a problem now. I've never been able to reconcile that. Well, yeah, not only is the um, the general the general principle that the government is committed to in 36-2 fairly uncontroversial. But um, if you look at the specific uh, uh, formula, as you say, it was um, um, changed in some fairly fundamental ways in uh, 2007 and again in 2009 uh, by Stephen Harper. And um, uh, and I think Jason Kenney was, uh, you know, the second or third most important minister from Alberta, uh, one of the five most important ministers in the cabinet. I and mean, he obviously was at the table uh, and thought that that this was OK. Um, yeah. So so, um, it, it, you know, uh, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, to 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 say that that this actually. Uh, sort of hits the nail on the head in terms of what um, what what Alberta should be uh, um, negotiating on a policy level with respect with respect to transfers. I, the um, I guess the point I was I was also going to mention is that you know we, when we talk about the money that goes out of Alberta as opposed to coming in, uh, you know if you factor in uh, the difference in in the age of the population. Uh, you, you don't naturally you, you you don't expect to get as much in OAS transfers or in health transfers. Uh, if you figure uh, if you count the fact that there are twice as many people per capita earning a hundred thousand dollars as there are in the average Canadian province, um, you know you don't expect as as much money coming in as going out. And uh, when you take all of that into account, the amount that is actually just pure discrimination against Alberta starts to, you know, it goes from whatever the, the five or 6% of the federal budget that equalization as a total represents. Well, what percentage of that is actually discrimination against Alberta? It's a much smaller number. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that it isn't worth grumbling about. So do you but, think, I mean, does discrimination against Alberta exist? Maybe in an indirect sense. Interesting. In, you, know, uh, 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 you know, in the sense that the total uh, the total amount of um, well, when um, yeah, in fact, Stephen Harper might have participated in it because, of course, when he was revising the equalization formula, he was very mindful um, of uh, of not alienating Quebec too much. Right. So he made certain changes like going back to the 10 province average instead of the average of the just the, the, the five richest provinces. Uh, and then he he did a very good thing for Alberta in terms of um, of uh, eliminating some of the backdoor uh, equalization that existed in the health transfer. So we now get our health transfer on a per capita basis, which um uh, ironically, you could argue that we don't deserve because you could argue that that older, sicker people should probably get correspondingly more, you know, on a needs basis. Maybe we're even getting more from the health transfer than we 
you know, uh, in a sense, dessert. But let me let me show you this. I don't know if you've seen this meme or not. I'll, I'll try to describe it for people on the podcast. It's the Jason Kenny Drake meme. Um, he's he's saying no to transfer payments, but he's saying all right to transfer patients. It's not funny oh, yeah. in the sense that, you know, hundreds of Albertans are in ICUs right now and some of them will be outside yeah. the province of Alberta. But has this chipped away at the strength of Jason Kenney's argument, Alberta's reliance on other provinces, other jurisdictions through this pandemic? Oh, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it uh, I mean, if uh, if our only problem was that we were sending too much uh, to Ottawa, I guess, I guess, uh, um, well, you know, we've been the wealthiest province for um, uh, over half a century, and uh, to to find ourselves in this uh, in this situation is a, is a bit embarrassing, and I think I think you have to attribute it. Uh, to the fact that we've we've taken our fiscal uh, advantage and plowed it into low taxes, and that we've uh, we've enjoyed um, a higher level of public services at significantly lower le- levels of taxation, that we're now heading into an era um, where um, where uh, we can no longer afford to do that. And I think that's part of what we're we're coming to grips with. And of course, it's tempting to to kind of blame the equalization formula uh, for that. It's convenient. It's a scapegoat. That's for sure. Uh, Dr. Mark Crawford is an equalization expert out of Athabasca University. Thanks for making time for us today. We appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. You bet. So we wanted we wanted insightful, measured analysis to cut through the BS and the noise. Vote no, everybody. This is an idiotic question. Vote no. Vote no. But also the fact that it's even on there and we are we are spending time and money to put this on a referendum. I saw Kim asking on the live chat said, you know, the referendum question should be, would you like to see a sales tax? That's a referendum question. Kim gets comment of the day. Congratulations, Kim. I can't imagine how exciting that must be for you. You'll carry this through the weekend. That banner, that crown. Yeah, I would like to see where a sales tax referendum would go. You'd have the people who would automatically on principle vote no. Hell no, no new taxes, no. And then you'd have some people that would wrestle with it. You know, is the Alberta advantage a thing? What message would it send to the rest of Canada? And then I think you'd have people that could be swayed that would go, well, I mean, if it would balance the budget, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a consumption tax of sorts. You know, I think that that could be beneficial. Some people would talk about the impact that it would have on lower income earning Albertans, right? They'll say that, you know, increasing taxes on things like consumption taxes. I mean, you can talk about exemptions, what would or would not be taxed, but they'll say it's going to it's going to disproportionately disadvantage lower income earners. And then you would have people that would be like, we should have had a sales tax 10 years ago. Absolutely. Yes. But to be clear, vote no. Uh, I don't typically tell you how to vote, but in this one, vote no. Send a message to this provincial government. That Drake meme is amazing, by the way. Absolutely love that thing. Doggo says, I disagree with Jespo here, which is completely cool, completely fine. Said the feds act like equalization is not just subsidizing Quebec. They take our federal taxes and then they call us names. I mean, they take everybody's federal taxes. We pay tax. Um, We pay the same percentage of income tax as other people. It's not like Albertans get taxed double. Albertans and, you know, earn more. So Albertans pay more. 
And with regards to calling us names, I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not here to be uh, sort of an apologist for the federal liberal government. I'm not here to jump to the defense of the federal liberal government. But I mean, all I've really seen is is the prime minister making himself available for interviews on this show. Deputy PM available for interviews on this show. Senior cabinet ministers, they're buying pipelines. They've never said no to an interview request for us. They campaigned in Alberta. They're trying, they're, they're, they're trying to do affordable child care. Trying to do affordable child care. They're helping Alberta out with the orphan wells situation. I mean, there's a lot to be desired with the federal government. There's a lot of things to be pissed off with, uh, with regards to the federal government, and in particular the prime minister. Trash talk coming up in about thirty seconds. But I don't see. I mean, is the federal government calling Alberta names? I don't know. What did you just see that raised your eyebrows? Uh, Doggo just wrote. I meant Quebec calls us names. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Appreciate the clarification. Does Quebec call us names? Does Quebec even know that Alberta exists? Does Quebec give a shit about Alberta? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. You can let me know what you think. Doggo, appreciate you tuning in. And I mean it. Uh, Hold our feet to the fire. Take issue with what we say. We don't want some podcast, some live streaming show that everybody just gets together and agrees all the time. How boring would that be? Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can get in touch with us. Uh, Before we head to the weekend, I want to remind you that our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park have right now... Do I make an equalization type comparison here or do I just get straight to the script? Real talk. Do it. Vote no to two cheeseburgers for $5 even though it's an amazing deal. Vote yes to two double cheeseburgers for 7 or just order whatever you like at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Miracle Treat Day is coming up on the 28th of this month, and I love these Dairy Queens. These guys go above and beyond. They're not donating the profits of blizzards that day to the Stollery Children's Hospital. They're donating the entire gross revenue from blizzards that day to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. Their contributions in years past, high six figures. So proud to be partnered with these Dairy Queens. When you visit them this weekend through next week, you let them know you're there because you're a real talker. We thank you for that. Our friends at Local Waste want to remind you that if a fall yard cleanup is part of your to-do list over this weekend or maybe the weekends to come, they're in the business of bins and have been family and locally owned and operated for more than a quarter century. If you go to localwaste.ca, you can connect with them out of Edmonton or Regina for a bin. If it's construction, commercial, residential waste and recycling collection, they do it all. And they're great, if you're a business owner, at getting you out of a bad contract with one of their competitors. As a matter of fact, they take great pride in taking that load off your shoulders and handling that business on your behalf. It's all part of partnering with local waste services. Every Friday as we wrap up our broadcast week, our friends at Local Waste give us an opportunity to to blow off a little steam, to, to get things off our chest, if you will. It's a feature we call Trash Talk. I love this one from Shame Thrower Shania. That's right. She says, to be honest, I don't have much sympathy for those who choose not to get vaccinated. I simply don't, especially when there's people who can't get vaccinated and would love to, like, I don't know, maybe kids under 12 years old. These people are why this pandemic isn't slowing down anytime soon. They're selfish, especially when it comes to the very rich, my body, my choice shit. Why are people consistently nattering out that line when those same 
Mean people don't believe it when a woman says it about her own health choices. This is ignorance. Shania says the vaccine does not infringe on your freedoms. It doesn't alter your DNA. It doesn't track where you go or who you're seeing. And it certainly doesn't contain microchips. It just keeps you from having a harder time if you encounter COVID-19. Shame on you, says shame thrower Shania. How about this one from Devin? Devin starts this one off heavy. I'm going to drop the voice for a second. He says, my sister threw herself off the high-level bridge back in 1989 when I was 16. He says, to some degree, ever since, I've been fucked up. He says, I'm a lot better now, of course, but you never know when it's coming back to hit you again. So that was a singular event in my life that I struggle with. And now I'm finally grasping the stories of these thousands of indigenous children and their traumas, the traumas they've walked with for, in some cases, decades. I can't imagine their pain. Last Thursday, when I turned on the news to find out our Prime Minister was on holiday in Tofino on that inaugural day of truth and reconciliation, should have blown my mind, but it didn't. I can't believe it. That from Devin. Much love, Devin. Thanks for being a part of the show. How about this one from Randy, who says, I get so tired of King Kenny standing behind podiums. I wonder how he remains upright without a backbone. If there ever was someone to do something meaningful, now would be the time. He says this government, this Alberta government has turned us into the eyesore of Canada. Inactivity, seeking to destroy our healthcare and education systems just so we can have a population of weak uneducated, mindless sheep. Seriously, a conversation about whether or not we're going to stay in Canada? What about the conversation happening in our house, whether or not we can stay in this province? The majority of people in Alberta deserve better. It's sad to see how fast and how far we can fall. Screw the rest of us, I guess. But hey, says Randy, to all the real talkers, keep throwing punches. Randy, you got it. And I love this one from Jenna. Jenna says, I'm sick and tired of seeing people yank on their dog's leash when taking them out for a walk. In addition to just being cruel, guess what, everybody? Dogs experience the world through their noses. So unless you think the walk is supposed to be for you and not your furry friend, let them smell the fucking smells. They're bored of the same old smells at home. And if you take them on the same boring loop around the same boring blocks they're bored of those smells too and guess what walks are meant to be just as much if not more mental stimulation in addition to physical exercise so let your dog smell the fucking smells she says you can thank me later for a happy dog also may i please pet your dog and she says okay fine i'll pay the dog tax ladies and gentlemen that can see this on youtube meet Doug. That from Jenna, paying her dog tax, and she's right. Quit yanking on those leashes, everybody! You can send us your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We monitor our email inbox. You could hear yours read the next time we get into it. We're off next week. We wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. We're back on Election Day. That's October 
17th. In the meantime, learn more about that daylight saving time referendum question by checking out our August 3rd episode with Dr. Michael Antel. When we come back a week from Monday, Brooklyn Heights is going to hang out with us that next week. The RuPaul Drag Race alum, plus former NHLer Bernie Saunders shut out the game that did not love me black. Only the fifth black hockey player to play in the league at the time with the Quebec Nordiques. Plus more news of the day and the analysis you can trust. Real talkers, we're going to miss you. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. Stay safe out there and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.